Welcome to another episode of Working Class. This week, I'm sitting down with Hannah Williams from Salary Transparent Street. She goes city to city asking people what they do and how much do they make. We had an awesome conversation about how to make more money in our careers and some ideas about how to make the American dream more accessible for everyone. It's an awesome conversation. Come and join us. Anna, thank you so much for coming out of to course. my hometown, yes. America's finest city, San Diego. Not any sun today. Uh, there hasn't been for like six months. <laughs> oh, um, gosh. I'll talk to June the mayor, bloom. get you a refund. I don't know what happened <laughs> here. But, you know, why are you out here? It's not yeah. it's not vacation. I think you're on a conference or something. I What's am. Going on? I'm on a little bit of a road trip. I just did a pay scale conference, total rewards at work. So tons of HR people there. I am comped out. That's why I didn't get an invite. There's all these <laughs> yeah, HR people exactly. there. What is pay scale? Yeah. What was the conference about? Just all about like compensation, rewards, employee benefits, you know, that kind of stuff. A lot of talk about pay transparency, though, which was great really? for me. Yeah. I'm surprised to hear HR people of mm-hmm. all people talking about mm-hmm. pay transparency right is this a new thing i think it's we're, we're going in the right direction they seemed excited wow. it sounded like there was less problems with like hr like they sound like they they get it you know there's gonna be some hurdles but they're willing to make the change they have pushback from their higher ups why do their you think that is ups, what's the point of the pushback i think that it's a generational thing um you know the higher ups are a little older and mm. they just don't see the value and also you know they see the benefit in cash dollars they're able to make money off of pay and equity so well, wait wait a minute you're well, telling me ceos <laughs> have an interest in pay and equity no <laughs> <laughs> they do not care well really what I, in all seriousness what's the motivation for a company not yeah. to have pay transparency i agree I agree. It there there isn't like there's lawsuits at risk. You know, you have the chance of losing your employees, huge turnover. And this is the change that's going in the right direction. You know, people want pay transparency. So it's all positives if you implement the change negatives if you don't. So I, I agree. I think that when you try to conceal how much people are making, it's not like no one ever talks. Yeah. People are going to people notice that talk. they're not being There's a paid water cooler fairly. for a reason. Oh, 100%. <laughs> it, you know, um, and the whole taboo idea of actually talking about our wages. Yeah. Anna, how much are you making here? Wait I think, a minute. Yeah. yeah are we exactly. going into it? <laughs> oh, we're going to get into that in just a minute. Yeah. Um, but in terms of the HR conference, were there any ideas that came up that were surprising to you or Mm -hmm. that are very different from what we've seen from HR in the past few decades as it relates to pay? Yeah, that's a good question. I think what was interesting is like the biggest change I saw was just a change in energy. Like Mm -hmm. there's just an openness and a willingness to like hear from the employee perspective that a year ago when I was talking to HR people, they just like didn't even want to talk about pay transparency. What changed in one year? Do you think your channel had something to do with it? I'll, I'll give myself a pat on the back. I'll give you a yeah. pat on the back. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take that. I think it's more so like if anything, like if our page did have influence, it's pushing this forward, you know, normalizing pay transparency. And so I think we're finally at that helm of change where we're seeing, you know, corporations are finally starting to get it. They're finally starting to listen. And also the people that are filling those jobs are not taking anything less. They're not applying if the salary is not listed. It's I'm glad you say that because it's been my observation that people, especially you know, millennials and Gen Zers coming up are yeah. starting to get more assertive yes. in what kind of pay conditions that they are going to tolerate. Uh-huh. Uh, and I think there's certainly some people who see that assertiveness and say it's entitlement. 
that and we're spoiled. Not. We don't want to work our way up the ladder. Like, what do you say so to people mad. like that? Because I've seen your comments. I hope <laughs> I hope you don't look at your comments too much. They're mostly positive. Oh, I, I read all the comments. I'm the moderator. I'm the person behind oh, it. So sadly, I yeah. do. So what's the pushback here? Yeah, I think that it's just a lack of understanding of like what those benefits are. And mm-hmm. I think that it's really cool to see, especially Gen Z pushing this forward. They're mm-hmm. not applying to jobs that don't list a salary because there's no there's no benefit from them. You know, like they're going to do an interview, go through three to four interviews and then find out at the end that they're not going to make their market rate. Okay. So you just wasted all their time and you wasted the employees, the employer's time. You know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's a no brainer to me. I just tell them like, you need to understand the pros Mm -hmm. and see the cons in comparison and they do not match up. It's very clear. What are some of the pros? To being, oh, yes. let's start with the the actual, you know, I, let's say I need a new paralegal uh-huh. and I just say, hey, this is 40 bucks an hour. Right yeah. up front. What's the benefit of that? Yeah. The benefit is that you are showing up front that you care about making sure that your employee feels valued and that they're well compensated. Hopefully the pay you're listing is, you know, within the market mm-hmm. rate and based on cost of living and you've done the research, you know that it's fair. That's demonstrating up front that you care about them. And the flip side of it is we're hearing a lot of Gen Z tell us that when the pay isn't listed, you know, I'm like, well, why don't you apply? They're like, um, they're skirting around yeah. something. There's secrecy there secrecy is a bad thing, you know, and yeah. people care about the morals and values of their, the organizations they work for. They don't want to work somewhere where they might be underpaid or taken advantage you of. You definitely don't want to work somewhere where secrecy is the norm and honesty yeah. is punished. I, I've seen that, that. in organizations. Yeah, truth. There we go. It, <laughs> it's never a good thing because what are you hiding? And, exactly. and if you're, if the leader of the organization can't be honest, how do you expect anyone else to be honest? Yeah. That's not good culture. Definitely. Um, it definitely has a negative connotation, like a negative mm-hmm energy. No one wants to work where it's secretive because why is it secretive? You know, (laughs) the answer is clear. (laughs) uh, One comment that I think comes up Mm -hmm. on you a lot Mm -hmm. is, and and I'm paraphrasing here, but basically um, you guys are just whiners. If you work hard, put in an honest day's effort and quit looking for ways to milk every penny out of your employer, Mm -hmm. you'll be fairly paid. I see a lot of those and they're, and I get where they're coming from. I'm inclined to agree. But if, if I step aside and say, where is this person coming from? I'm sure they're not sitting there twirling their mustache being like, how do we screw over working class people? I think Mm -hmm. they genuinely think that if you just work harder, you will make more. What is your response to that? BS, you know, straight up, that harsh a response, straight up (laughs) BS. Yeah, I am harsh. And you know, the way I see it is like, I have to stand up for people. You know, I have to say what they can't say because I am in that position where I quit my job. Mm -hmm. I don't respond to any, I don't have a boss. I am my boss, you know? So who am I, if I'm not saying what is on their minds, you know, I have to say that. So I am, I'm a little harsh and I'll take, I'll take the negatives that come with that, but it's true. It's BS. Mm -hmm. It makes no sense. It's not true that you have to work harder to make more money. Mm -hmm. There's so many different scenarios where women, minorities, workers with disabilities, LGBTQ community are taken advantage of from the get go in the interview process before they're even working in, mm-hmm. in the in the company. So you can't say that you got to work harder because a lot of this pay inequity happens in the hiring process. When you don't have that pay transparency up front, people don't know what they should be asking for. And companies yeah. have wildly different budgets. So you can have an idea of what your market rate is and still be making less than your colleague because the company has more money that they didn't tell you about. They never show their cards on those. No. They, I mean, occasionally you'll get a cool recruiter who 
who's like, hey, I'm going to help you out and tell you. That's what I got. That that happened to you? That happened to me. I found out that I was underpaid. I was making $90,000 as a senior data analyst, which was way less than the market rate where I lived. I I don't want to interrupt, but let's let's back (laughs) up a minute. When was this? Because you senior data analyst, was Uh that your first like real career role out of college? Tell us your story there. I have quite a story and I I guess maybe we can go into it because it is kind of long. It's like a it's a tale. It's a series I of fortunate, unfortunate events. <laughs> so when I graduated college, I graduated in 2019 from Georgetown. I got a business degree in management. Georgetown. Yep. Wow. Saxa. Congratulations. We Thank should have you. laid out the really good uh, the table blue. for this one. So. <laughs> no, it didn't help me. You know? Really? Yeah. I actually, funny enough, I went to Georgetown because I was like, I'm not going to have any trouble getting a job. Like that name is going to carry me forever. They really sell that to kids. They really do. They? Oh, they do. It was wow. the number one thing. And sure enough, I was one of the few seniors graduating a month before graduation that did not have a job. I had nothing lined up. Oh, it was terrible. It was panic. It was, I I can't even tell you. I was just in James would know James, my fiance is here. Um, fight or flight. It was terrible. I was so, I was panicked. I was like crying every day and I kind of did it to myself in a sense because I, I had a startup while I was in school and I was like, I'm going to work on this. I'm going to be my own boss. And then like a month before graduation, this is when I was like, Oh shit. (laughs) Um, I had a bad coding deal. Like I put $7,500 that my dad lent me into a coding Uh, deal. And at the time, that's a lot of money at the time. And I had student loan debt already, you know, so that added onto it. I thought that the coding deal was going to go great. I thought my startup was going to come to fruition and it didn't like I lost all that money. So what was the startup? This little app that I had an idea for called Trucker. Um, I used to, you know, work in D.C. all the time doing internships. And there's a huge food truck culture in D.C. And so I just kept seeing that, you know, the food is made fresh, which means that it takes longer. And the food trucks are so popular that there's long lines outside. So I just looked at it and I was like, why are people spending their entire lunch break in line waiting for their food? And then they eat their food at their desk when they have to go back to work. I've done that before. I've worked in an office and. We had trucks. This was back when I was uh, clerking at the U.S. Attorney's. Uh-huh. We would go to the food trucks. And seriously, it would be 20 minutes of my 30-minute break. Exactly. And then I'm just eating in, at my desk. And, and now you're so eating sad. at your desk. I'm having a sad giro at my desk. Exactly. Yeah. A sad giro. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's exactly what I saw. And I was like, why don't they do like an Uber Eats for this, where you can place your order ahead of time and mm-hmm. then go pick it up when it's ready? They have it ready for you. So exactly. you know, my lunch is at 12. So mm-hmm. 10.30, I'm like, 10.30, yeah, I'm, I'm placing my giro. order. Yeah, okay. yeah. I'm going to go to the bathroom, place my order, you know? and then go get it. And then I get to actually enjoy my lunch break. How did that not take off? That sounds like a great idea. I think so too, right? (laughs) I'm waiting (laughs) for someone, like I keep talking about it. I'm like, who's going to take this idea? Like, If I say this on enough podcasts, eventually the right guy is going to hear it. (laughs) Right. And the problem was I had no tech like background, right? I was very inept at coding. And so I had to work with a company and that's where I lost all the money. And I was looking at it as like, I have nothing. I don't have a product. I'm $7,500 in debt to my dad now. A month before graduation, I have to wake up. You know, I have to go find a job. And it was really hard because in Georgetown, especially in the business school, you either go into management consulting or finance, like you go work on Wall Street. It's really those two tracks. one of those two. Whenever they had recruiters come over to like talk and like networking events, it was all those two tracks. And I had no interest in doing that. I got a D plus in finance. I barely passed. Okay. (laughs) No interest. The salary transparent street person. I'm not selling anything about finance because I don't know anything about it, (laughs) but pay transparency. I do know. So I, I had a month to graduate and I applied to every place I could get. And the only people that 
I would hire me was a telemarketing firm. So cold oh, calling people. Yep. That's brutal. And I had to suck it up. You know, I had to you get a job. Tel- you were I did cold it. calling. I was cold calling. So I graduated on a Saturday, started working on Monday, cold calling. It sucked. I was selling Lexus Nexus software to hey, like. Hey, I have that. Yeah, I probably could have called t- you. Wait, when were you doing this? <laughs> this was 2019. There summer is a not 0% chance we spoke at some point. <laughs> and you may have been one of the few to hang up on me. For Actually, that, I not apologize. one of the few, one of the many. <laughs> no, it was, it came with the territory, right? I knew from my first day that I hated sales. Like I couldn't mm-hmm. do telemarketing. Cold calling is just not, not at all. For Why don't me. you like sales? I just don't like it. I don't like, I, I think it was also, I didn't believe in what I was selling. It was mm-hmm. kind of just like, I had to sell it. That was my it's job. It's tough when you're you know? selling something you don't believe in. And I didn't know anything about tough. it. I didn't know legal software. So I just mm-hmm. had like all these, you know, talking points that they gave me and they're like, here's what you say. Here's what you do. But it was mostly like the culture of that firm was mm-hmm. terrible, toxic from the get go. What made it toxic? The, okay. So they had a whiteboard in our lunchroom that would have like all our standings. And if you fell at the bottom, like you were the bottom three, you're on the axing, like you were, you're on the axing block. Wait, like, wait, wait. What, what if the whole team, let's say there's 10 people mm-hmm. and everyone has a great quarter. Yeah. A, a, including no, they're the still, bottom people. You're still telling a bottom me three. even if they knock it out, yep. those people are out. Yep. So you what? were always at risk. And if you were in the bottom three, like they would put you on a performance plan, you know, all the stuff. But if you were still there like a month in, they let you go. And while I was there, they let people go who were just not performing. And so it was just constantly the cycle of entry level employees that they wow. were getting who had just graduated, you know, filling in a seat, up, spit them out, chew them up, spit them out. And I remember like my manager would literally like be behind me on calls, like while I was calling people, it was terrible. And like we would get out. They had this huge like drinking frat culture, too, which, you know, looking back, I'm like, that's so toxic. A lot of sales roles <laughs> have that. There's a yeah. lot coming from sales myself. I had a similar yeah. role at one point. Um, have you ever seen the movie Boiler Room? No, but I know Street? it. Wolf yeah, of Wall there's Street. this like high testosterone, yes. high energy cell, 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 and it kind of translates from this, you know, really just machismo, uh-huh. high energy, and it's not healthy. No, it's not sustainable. <laughs> it certainly doesn't, in, in my experience, produce better salespeople. No. What is the purpose of that culture? I have no idea, Ryan. <laughs> I don't know, and I would not know because I quit like two months later. Yeah, I, was I was gonna ask done. how that job ended for you. I cried every day. Oh, it was Hannah. terrible. <laughs> it was not a good time. But you know, I always knew that there was a light at the end of the tunnel. I just had to keep looking. What you was know? that light for you? Because a lot of people I didn't get into know. a role and they get demoralized in that that situation. Yeah. I was demoralized. Excuse me. <laughs> I was demoralized in a role like that. Yeah. I remember the whole reason I ended up in in that kind of entry level sales role hitting the phones was yeah. because I didn't get any into any law schools mm-hmm. the first time I applied. Mm-hmm. And the biggest mistake you can make when you're in that situation is to suck it up and be okay with where you're at. I was wow. not I was not. I applied every single day to new jobs. I was constantly looking for new opportunities. I just wouldn't accept it. I was like, this is where I'm at, but it's not where I plan to be, you know? Mm -hmm. And sure enough, I quit two months later because I got an offer. I, I got honestly like so lucky with this. And I, I don't want to like act like I know everything about how to break into STEM because I don't, Mm -hmm. I really feel like I got lucky. I got this like really small consulting firm. You know, I, I live in DC DMV area. So huge government contracting, tons of government contractors, this small firm found me Mm -hmm. on Georgetown's Hoya Saxa alumni network. You know, I had my resume up there and they were like, we need an entry level person who understands Excel spreadsheets, you know, who can like sift through data and kind of get a sense of it. 
you have experience with I that? I did. And it was because I took a lot of like strict strategic business operations courses in mm, Georgetown, okay. you know, like I remember it was called Opum. I don't know why operation project something, but I had projects that I worked on in school that demonstrated that I had these skills, even though I had a management degree. I was okay. definitely well-versed and I, I talk a good game, Ryan, I can interview very well. <laughs> so. I noticed you put out some videos on your, on your Instagram, yeah. I think is where I saw it, where you were showing people the exact script you uh-huh. used to negotiate yes. your first high salaries. Can uh-huh. you talk a little bit about some of those tips you were sharing for, yes. for those who haven't seen the video? Uh-huh. And if you haven't, you need to follow Salary Transparent Street. <laughs> it's not just her harassing people on the street, although that's probably my favorite it's like part. like 90%. She, you also help people negotiate. So yes. what are some of the tips that you were offering? Yeah. So my number one, when I finally found this 115K job that I accepted, that I was working right before I quit and did Salary Transparent Street, how I got that salary is just so simple. And I always tell people, because I'm like, it's not that hard. Like, you just have to say this exactly. I asked them for the budget. When they asked me what my salary requirements were, I like flagged it and I was like, this is the question that got me in trouble. I'm not answering it. Like I'm not because why am I supposed to know how much your budget is? Mm -hmm. I don't, you know, so I can say what my market rate is, but I might be wildly off. So I flipped it on the recruiter and God bless her. Like she, I really owe a lot to her because she changed the game for me. Her response to this question changed everything. I flipped it on her and I was like, I know what my market rate is based on my research, Mm -hmm. but I'm curious what your budget is. That's the exact script. That's exactly what I said. And like another like way to add to it is when you're having the first conversation, the way to make it sound like more professional and Mm -hmm. realistic is to say it's too early in the interview process for me to gauge the full scope of this role. Can you share the budget with me? You snaps because my follow up question Sorry. My follow up (laughs) question to that is, you know, a lot of people see that as combative. It's like you're pulling an Uno reverse on someone. And I'm sure you probably got some comments saying, wait a minute, you're telling me that I'm going to go into an interview and flip it on them. Guess Mm -hmm. I'm not getting the job. I think that was the most common negative comment I saw, like, LOL, POV, you're not not getting an offer. Yeah, Yeah, stuff like that. Try it. It sounds like you're saying there's a non-combative and professional way to do this. Yes. And there's a way to make it sound like it makes sense, right? Like, Mm -hmm. how are you supposed to know what the budget is for the role or what you should be making if you haven't even met the hiring manager yet? This was the first call with the recruiter. So I asked her and I props to her. She did not skip a beat. She was like, yeah, our budget's around 115K. And I was like, perfect. Because even then I knew that my market rate was between like 100 and 120 K. I was still going to ask for 105. I was maybe if I, if I had enough courage, I was going to ask for 110. Her saying 115 gave me $10,000 that I would not have asked for. This is why you ask for the budget. Exactly. This is why you do not negotiate against yourself. Yes. That's the best way to put it. Don't negotiate against yourself. Let them give you the number and then you negotiate up or down. Any lawyers listening are going to know this from settlement negotiations. Mm -hmm. It's very simple. I mean, it just don't be throwing out numbers out there. See what's even available to you. And what's funny about your approach that I really like, Mm -hmm. people are so scared that you sound greedy or unprofessional. If you're saying things like, hey, I don't have enough information yet. Mm -hmm. I have questions. Professionals ask questions. Yes. Amateurs or people who 
know just enough to get themselves in trouble yeah. don't have any questions. Yeah. So if I'm hiring and you're saying things like, wait a minute, I still need to know the scope. What do you guys look? I sound for? professional. You sound professional F. Yeah. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yep. I sound like I'm paying attention. I sound like I'm interested. I sound like I'm engaged. Yes. I don't sound entitled. I sound like I'm asking a smart question. Mm-hmm. So if you have any doubt about that, I, I, I think you should ask it. If anyone listening, they're like, oh, I don't think that's going to work. Try it. Yeah. Well, let's Just be clear. Try it. Uh, what's the success rate on something like that? Is it going to go well the first time? Every I think time? now it would mm-hmm. go well a lot better than it would when I tried it over a year ago. You know, and I did have some people where I, I at the time I was, you know, interviewing with a lot of people. So this was the one that was a game changer. But I did have some recruiters where I, I flipped it on them and they were like, mm, you know, we don't share our budget, wow. things like that. And I was like, Okay, well, then I don't know if the market rate matches, you know, and if you can share that information with me, we can keep moving forward. But like, I'm not wasting my time doing an interview when I don't know if I'm going to be fairly paid at the end. It's funny you say that because what did you really lose when a recruiter looked at you and said, oh, we don't share the budget? What? How did that hurt you? Not at all. I saved yeah. my time. I saved my energy. And I probably don't want to work for that company either. Because if you don't not. have an answer to that, you're hiding something. I, I'm inclined to agree. And I think that's what a lot of people see as the worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. And it's nice to talk to someone like you who's been through it. The worst case scenario is it's not, not bad. that bad. No. The worst case scenario is it's a good thing. you don't waste time in another dead end yes. job with the same toxic culture we've mm-hmm. been seeing. Get yourself somewhere where the boss immediately says, hey, I have $28 an hour to offer yes. you. Is that going to work? Is that enough for and you? And then you say yes or no. Mm-hmm. And frankly, if they offer you 28, you should ask for 30. I, I mean, come on. True that. True you, that. I did try to negotiate more. They made me an offer for 115K. And I was like, can we like go a little higher? And they're like, no. And I was like, that's fine. Yeah. It's okay. I'll take it. Well, there, there's a couple of parts to a negotiation. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's your salary, yeah. which you always want to get the highest number. But at some point you hit a cap and they yeah. say, look, it, it, we love you. We mm-hmm. want you. But this is just we what can't. we have. To and that's mm-hmm. okay. There's small businesses. There's, there's people. other things you can negotiate too. That's where I'm going. What are some other things you can negotiate that can put some more compensation yeah. in your pocket, but aren't necessarily a dollar sign. So many things. And I think when people hear salary, they think total comp, but mm-hmm. base comp is so much more different. Like the way I see it is I really prioritize base comp because that's money in your pocket, right? Like mm-hmm. some of the other things you get that you negotiate for that contribute to total comp are not going in your pocket. They're just kind of like lifestyle. We're putting health. toppings on the ice cream. Toppings on the ice yeah. cream, cherries, all of that whipped cream. <laughs> I love cherries. But, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> right. So some of the things you can negotiate on top of your base salary are your retirement benefits. You can oh. try to negotiate your 401k match. People think that that is set in stone. You can negotiate for it, especially if the company really wants you and they're not budging on base salary. And you're like, OK, well, I'm going to walk, but I will take 7 hey, percent. For those match. who don't know what is a 401k match and yeah. why does it matter when you're negotiating? 401k match is your retirement benefit. It is so important. Basically, it means that you contribute a certain percentage of your salary, like 7% every single month, and then the mm-hmm. company will match it. Sometimes they'll match it up to 50%. Sometimes they'll match it exactly at seven, for example. But most of the time, it's 50%. You chose seven, which is a scary number to do math with. Yes. So for easy math, I'm <laughs> I said say, it because our 401k match is 7%. That is but the average, That's it, really isn't it? Good. Yeah. I think having my own company now, I can't just walk the walk. I have to talk the talk or talk the talk, walk the walk. Mm -hmm. I have to give my employees the same things I'm advocating for them, them having in their own companies. It'd be terrible. So I pay my employees very well. I pay them a very great market rate. They have great benefits. They have, I think they have 
two weeks of paid time off. And that's it. Not, not including their sick days or time off, you know, for bereavement leave and stuff that I I just think that's really important side note, but other things you can negotiate, like the retirement benefit, the 401k match, you can ask for pet insurance. You can ask for fertility benefits. There's so many things you can ask for more PTO, more time off. If you only get like 14 days, you can ask for a little bit more. more PTO is always a really good thing to do because that is money in your pocket. Yes. Yeah. It's money in your pocket. And you a day off. Show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's win-win. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. And if you're in my state, you know, that PTO, it doesn't go away. Right. They could put a cap on it, but when you It'll leave, if, if there's any you haven't used, they have to cash it out to you. So it's nice. kind of almost like a forced savings account in a That's way. That's what I used to do yeah. with, when I used to work at, in my corporate lifestyle back in the day. I used to never use my PTO and I don't recommend this. I was just insane, but mm-hmm. I really wanted the cash and I knew that I was leaving the company soon. So I was like, why do I need PTO? I'm going to take two weeks off between this company and this company, and then I'm going to get cashed out. <laughs> that makes sense when you don't plan to be there long term. Right. But if you, let's say you have a company that you really like. Yeah. I mean, don't hoard your PTO. Do not. Please do not use your PTO. Always use your PTO. Take time off. Absolutely. Great. Uh, I'm really happy that you're here right now yeah. because the last time we I was on your podcast, uh-huh. you asked me a pretty intense question, and now I got you where I want you, <laughs> and I get to ask Hannah, for those who don't know, what do you do and how much do you make? I love this question. I love it too. Let's go. (laughs) I am the CEO and founder of a social media page called Salary Transparency, and I make $200,000 a year. That is my salary. My company is on track to make over a million dollars already in its first year, like a little over its first year. So that is absolutely incredible. Congratulations, Hannah. Thank you so much. It it is so hard to get to those points. I know that as as a founder and entrepreneur myself, Mm -hmm. the first time you actually get get six figures for yourself. It's insane. It's, it's, it's really incredible, especially those of us who started in minimum wage roles at some point. That was me. Yeah, (laughs) I'm a hustler. (laughs) And then when your business hits the seven figure mark, you go, Oh my gosh, it it feels like anything is possible because a million dollars for a company, especially if you start having employees and stuff, it's not that actually does not feel like a lot. And we, I mean, we're making great money, but I am pretty tight for cash right now. Like I, Mm -hmm. I want to hire some more people, but we're not there yet. Yeah. And it's mm-hmm. so crazy that like, it just feels like the bar keeps getting raised when you're an entrepreneur. Cause you're like, okay, I hit a hundred K that's amazing. I hit 500 K amazing, a million, you know, and then it just keeps going. But there's also costs that come with that, you well, know, you like employees, invest. Exactly. investment, and we're building a website right now that's costing a couple six figures. And it's good though. It's an investment. You know, you have to invest in your people and your business first. I want to hear more about that. But before we get into it, mm-hmm. let's talk about your role as a CEO and founder of <laughs> yeah. Salary transparent street uh because one does not simply go from selling very <laughs> expensive legal subscriptions on yeah. the phone to running around bothering people on the road so why yeah. don't you tell us a little bit about what your show is about what this page is how you got started yeah so Basically, I do go bother people on the street. I go stand on the street with my fiance and I ask people passing by, you know, hey, we're doing interviews for our channel, Salary Transparent Street. We interview people about what they do and how much they make to promote pay transparency. Can Mm -hmm. we interview you? And yes or no from there. And we do an interview with total strangers. Most of the time it's strangers. Sometimes we set them up. Mm -hmm. I've seen some pages where they're very much obviously set up, but Mm -hmm. we really prioritize just asking strangers on the street because you never know who you're going to 
run into. And sometimes those are the most natural interviews instead of the ones that are set up, which is really interesting. But yeah, like our whole mission is just to normalize Mm -hmm. pay transparency and normalize these conversations, help people feel more comfortable talking about money, but really promoting the value of pay transparency within organizations that it helps improve productivity, loyalty, reduces expensive turnover. Mm -hmm. There's so many benefits. It saves your time. It saves the company time. It's just overall a smart decision and something a lot of people need to start doing. We need to remove the emotions with talking about money. I'm glad you brought up the emotions because, Mm -hmm. you know, what you do is so unique to simply go up to a stranger with a mic and say, hi, how much money do you make? make? That is that still is shocking to most. I don't know how it is in other countries, Mm -hmm. but at least in the United States, that shocks the conscience for a lot of Absolutely. Yeah. Why is that? What are the emotions that come up when people talk about money? Oh my gosh. So many. What I have found, I would say ultimately, and I'd love to talk to a psychologist who like specializes in money to confirm what I'm thinking, <laughs> a, money what I've seen, a money psychologist. But if I, if I could say my thoughts, I think it's that people place a lot of their self-worth and mm. value on how much they make. They think that how much they make says a lot about, you know, their value in society and like how smart and intelligent they are. Mm. It's not true. Why it's, do people feel that way? I think it's just America. I think it's the value that we've placed. Like when you hear a six figure salary, you're like, oh, wow, like that person's so cool. And then you hear, you know, someone making minimum wage and you're not impressed. I think that that mm-hmm. it kind of like that reaction is evoking like something on those people and then they feel like they're worth less or worth more. You know, you yeah. see the people that make a lot people have ascribe egos. their self-worth to, I think that is that an American thing I where we so. ascribe a lot of our identity to our yes. careers? Yes, I think so. I think it's an American problem because overseas, what I hear a lot when people are like, you shouldn't ask people how much they make. It's more so like a cultural thing. Mm-hmm. Like it's just rude, you know, like you just don't talk about money. It's mm-hmm. just rude. And I think that that's also a problem in America, but America takes it a step forward where it's really like that self-worth thing. Because so many people that we interview, like when we'll ask, you know, they'll be like, oh, I don't make that much. Like, I don't want to share, you know, prefacing it with, hey, this is going to be a low. Exactly. Or they'll be like, no, like I I'm not interesting. I don't make a lot. And I'm like, that's not true. Why would someone (laughs) say, well, let's be very clear for a minute. Mm -hmm. Um, Firefighters, for example. Yeah. Interesting job. Very interesting job. Very important job. Many of them job, don't make a lot of and money. And they do not make a lot. Some do. Mm-hmm. You know, if you work in LA City Fire or yeah. Orange County Fire Authority, you, you can make six figures but as normally a firefighter. Not. But most firefighters are volunteers. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know most of my career, I made eight fifty an hour. And the yeah. highest I ever made was 16 an hour. Mm-hmm. At one point, I made $4 an hour. Yikes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but is that an uninteresting job? No. Did that make me an uninteresting person? Not at all. And that's what I try to tell them is like, you need to talk about this also, because if you stay silent, how are things going to change? How are you going to start asking for more? How are you going to change this system of being underpaid if you're not out there advocating for yourself. So sometimes when people say that, they're like, I don't make that much. It's okay. And I'm like, no, we need to hear from you as well. And mm-hmm. also like, especially I would say not because especially yeah. yeah, six figure salary, people are interesting. We should talk to them, but yeah. I really am more interested in, you know, the security guard who makes maybe a couple bucks above minimum wage. Can I, agree. can I tell you why I like that person yeah. so much? I want to know your thoughts. Mm-hmm. I feel like for a lot of my twenties, I was trapped in 
in very low wage and Mm -hmm. minimum wage roles. And I could not figure how to get out of that cycle. It felt so hard. Yeah. It felt like I didn't have the right last name or I didn't know the right people or I didn't have the right major and nothing could get me out of it. And it's lonely. It feels lonely. And when you interview someone and let's say I know the minimum wage in their state's 12 bucks an Mm -hmm. hour for example, and they say they make 15. Yeah. I want to hear from this person because it sounds like they've taken that first essential step. This is a very special person to Uh talk to. They've broken out of the minimum wage. Yeah. At least that's what I think about someone. What what are your thoughts? Who are your favorite people to bump into out there? I love interviewing people that are making like minimum wage, you know, hustlers, because Mm. I think what's important to show is not everyone makes six figures. Like, you know, when we interview people in DC and they all make six figures, it's also important to understand cost of living and that that six figures in a high cost of living area does not go as far as six figures in Kentucky, for example. And so they're also few and far between the majority of people are not making that much money. They're making under 50 K. It feels like it's the majority when you scroll Instagram. Exactly. It's easy to feel like you're behind yeah. or a loser. You scroll and so another 28 year old in his Ferrari. Oh no, but that's yeah, not real life. It's not real life. And that's why like when we interview people that are making a more average salary, I really want to hear from them because they are the average American. Mm-hmm. How are you making your money work for you? What yes. can you share that 90% of the people watching this video would actually learn something from? that they Mm -hmm. can implement into their daily lives. The six-figure day trader saying, oh, go download FX or something, you know. First of all, I guarantee he's got some kind of of promo link in his bio. (laughs) Exactly, (laughs) exactly. And it's like the majority of Americans are not making that much money, but there are ways that you can learn, you know, maybe a new career or something to do with your 401k, a way that somebody helped break the cycle. Those are really interesting interviews for me. I love those. And Hannah, you've traveled all over the U.S. Yeah. Uh, how I think many we're states? over 20 states now. Really? Yeah, over 20. So you've, and you've done this for two years? No, a year. We just passed our year? year. April 16th, 2022. Happy belated Thank uh, you. company birthday. <laughs> right? That's incredible. You know, that's the longest job I've ever had. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Why did Ain't this last so much longer than anything else? Because I love it. <laughs> I'm not changing longer. it. Yeah. Is every day awesome and fun? No, (laughs) no, but there's highs and lows, you know, there's, you know, one of the things I like to talk about, I think people think we have the dream job and we do, this is my dream job, but there's always, (laughs) there's always cons with something that's great, you know, and being an influencer slash content creator has a lot of cons that I didn't think about when we first started. What were some of those cons that might've surprised you? So In your nine to five, you have a manager, right? You have a boss. Mm -hmm. Usually when you get feedback from them, like any type of critique, it's very professional, you know, and it happens maybe once a quarter where you have your check-in with your boss and they tell you, you know, you got to work on this. You got to fix this. Mm -hmm. Being a content creator means that every hour you have unsolicited, usually unkind feedback Mm -hmm. about your work. And like my work is my baby. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Like this is my, it's my baby. It's my child. Mm -hmm. I care so much about it. So it's like, it's, it hurts more. It's harder to wave off, you know, because it's, it's something I care about. It's not just my nine to five where they're like, you messed up this cell. And I'm like, okay, you can fix it. (laughs) Like you have the money. I don't have a personal connection. I don't have a personal connection to this. Exactly. But I do have a personal connection to my page and I am the moderator. Like I don't have a social media manager. So I do go through every single comment and it's a torture, but also I really feel like I owe a responsibility to the people I interview because some people say some horrible things things about others. And I'm like, they didn't, these people that I interviewed did not ask to be harassed by 
you know, mm-hmm. terrible people on the internet. They're trolls. trying to help you. They're trying to help me and they're helping a lot of other people by being transparent. And if you have people saying like terrible things about them, how is that going to encourage other people to be transparent? It's not. We have to fight that culture. Yeah. And, and it's all And at the end of the day, we're trying to help each other earn more money and survive. Yes. Uh, I got a couple of questions for okay. you here. Uh, the first question, having gone to 28, mm-hmm. no, 20 or 28. I, it might be 28 at this point. I've lost count. I've lost I've count too. Everywhere. I tried to figure it out before. <laughs> Yeah. And I was a little rushed. Yeah. Um, is opportunity equal across the United States? No, not at all. You didn't even think about that. No. Yeah. It's, Why not? it's a no brainer. I mean, the, the highest salaried people that we interview usually all look the same. They are white. What do they look like? white? They're white and they're men or they're white women. You know, white women mm. also are high earners, but it's definitely the discrepancy is ridiculous. I was actually just talking about this an hour ago that I hate interviewing women in tech because- Why? The salaries are so different from men to women that it just in the same, kills me. In the same sector. You're- um, you, you know, like data scientists and stuff. Okay. So, it, you know, there are all those connotations and factors that come in that means that someone, you know, in a data scientist in one state might make a lot less than someone else in another state. But typically, like I'll interview a guy who's a data analyst, data scientist or a software engineer, and they will say without hesitation, you know, their salary is like 200 plus or something. And they'll be like, yeah, I'm underpaid, but it's okay. You know, yada, yada. Then I'll interview a woman. And we just interviewed one in Chicago who had just got a raise after asking for more. She made 100K. That's a high cost of living area, yes. by the way. 100K in Chicago it's is nothing. not the same as 100K in you know Oklahoma, Iowa. Idaho, yeah. It, even Florida, honestly, yeah. even though Florida's gotten quite a bit more yeah. expensive recently. And every time I like hear them say it, I just like, you know, you want to still be supportive, you know, and I, who am I to say you're underpaid? I don't know the full story. But it kills me. You're doing a great job gathering the information and just putting it out there. And as a labor lawyer, it's hard for me to see those things Mm -hmm. because I have I have a little bit more in my arsenal. I know that unequal pay for equal work Mm -hmm. that certainly looks like a Title VII violation. Yeah, you know, civil rights. It's not always that simple. Yeah, but yeah, and it's not. It's really hard. It varies by state to state. In California, we have the Equal Pay Act. Right. It's much easier for us to enforce that. Yeah. We've got two engineers here. They've got the same experience. One is a woman. She's making 30K. Mm -hmm. I see maybe half a dozen of those a year. Yeah. Cases like that. So people need to pay attention to what I mean, first of all, if you're being paid less just because you're a woman, the ages of us just accepting that mm-hmm. it's gone. It's over. It's over. We do it's not over. tolerate sexism anymore. Yeah. yeah. And there's also, you know, it's not just a, a, a gender pay gap. There's mm-hmm. race pay gaps. There's oh my God. the LGBTQ yeah. plus pay gap. You know, there's workers with disabilities that have pay gaps. It's ridiculous. What are some, first of all, what is a pay gap? Yeah. Just to be exceedingly clear for anyone listening, <laughs> yeah. what is a pay gap and what are some kinds of pay gaps you've noticed mm-hmm. in your travels across the States? Yeah. So a pay gap just means that one person in the same role as another person is making less or more, you know, there's a discrepancy. Equal experience, equal duties. Typically. Yes. Okay. And there are different pay gaps that are specifically, you know, we call them a controlled and an uncontrolled pay gap. So a controlled pay gap is within the same industry, within the same company, in the same role, same years of experience, you know, okay. that is actually a 99 cent pay gap between men and women. And I don't want to hear people say, well, it's one cent. It's still a pay gap. It's still a pay gap. And also to remind you, that is the average pay gap of like all the women, all Averages the races are tough. And when yeah. you break it out further by, you know, minority, race, gender, all these things, 
it keeps going down. And so then an uncontrolled pay gap is just like in general, you know, comparing apples to oranges, men to women and stuff. That one is like 83 cents and it goes down to like 53 cents for a little bit recently. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, I I wanted to bring that up because Mm -hmm. so many people point and say, look, it's getting better. What are you so upset about? (laughs) But we're still upset. I'm still upset. Even though it's it's improving, why are we still upset? It's not equal. I don't take anything less than equal. Don't give me one cent. I don't want the cent. I want equal. I want to make the same as a man. I do the same work. It makes no sense. That's that's a very reasonable request. It's a very reasonable request. Oh, but you would be surprised what the internet says. There's such a fight over it. You're seeing here. I want equal. I I want want equal. People get so upset. And they're like, like, you're one cent behind. Aren't you happy? (laughs) No, I'm not. (laughs) I'm not. How hard is it going to be to close that one cent gap? It's going to be difficult. Why? Because of corporate America, capitalism, you know, when you've got 90, 99% of the wealth controlled by the 1%, it's really hard to redistribute and make that equal. Mm -hmm. Also changing corporate mentality, Mm -hmm. you know, removing the secrecy, normalizing transparency. It's an uphill battle, but we're getting there. One thing I've noticed uh, just in my cases I've seen is one of the number one ways that a corporation can artificially increase their Mm -hmm. cash flow and make it look like they're doing better than they are is just to keep wages low or reduce headcount. Mm-hmm. Say, hey, mm-hmm. Hannah, normally you're on a team of three. We're going to let one guy go. You're doing his now work you're doing now. Double. But no, that's no extra exactly pay. what happened and when I found out I was underpaid. That's exactly what happened to me when Tell I found me out I was story. underpaid. So I I broke into, you know, tech, uh, data analytics. I got that job. So I went from $40,000 as a telemarketer to 55K as a junior data analyst. Wow. So I broke into that field mm-hmm. and I kept going and I realized that job hopping was like the best way to make <laughs> more money. So I job hopped like two or three more jobs and I ended up at this one company where I was making 90K as a senior data analyst. I thought I was killing it. I was like 23 years old. I was like, I'm so close to six figures. I'm going to be there. Oh my gosh, I'm killing it. Then within a month of starting that job, my only other colleague on my team was fired or, you know, reallocated in Mm -hmm. contract terms. However they wanted to (laughs) say However they wanted, you know, he was moved to another contract. And instead of hiring somebody to replace this guy, and I just started, you know, I was in my first month, so I didn't want to rock the boat. I didn't want to, you know, ask them, hey, you know, when is my colleague going to be? position. Exactly. I didn't question it. But within a few months, you know, my workload doubled. I was doing so much work. And I finally asked them like, hey, you know, what is the status on, you know, Manny getting uh, uh, filled in? And they were you know what they told me? What? They were like, oh, we spent the money on that software. Aren't you using it? No, Uh, I was not using it. It was not useful to me. They mm -hmm. didn't even consult me. So I had to tell them like, yeah, you guys just spent soft money on software that I'm not using that I don't need. And I'm SOL in this role by myself now. And sure enough, like months kept going by, you know, I think I was like six months deep into it. And Mm -hmm. I was, I was overwhelmed. I was so burnt out. I told the company, you know, I was like, I can't keep doing the work of two people. I'm so Mm -hmm. overwhelmed. I'm probably going to quit. This was the height of the great resignation too. This was 2021. So, you know, it was in the air. I was definitely seeing stuff on social media, people quitting, and Mm -hmm. that was starting to get in my brain. And I started wondering, you know, am I fairly compensated? Because keep in mind up till this point, I had never negotiated my salary or done my market research. This was so recent. And you're saying this is the first time. Was it the discomfort of having to take on the extra role without any compensation that motivated you to start? It was literally that I was making 90K supporting three teams and I was still making 90K supporting six teams overnight. 
Is that <laughs> an, is that almost precisely a hundred percent increase in your job responsibilities? I, I definitely needed at least fifty k more because I was the top senior data analyst there. I I didn't have a team anymore. I was literally supporting data analytics for six different teams that I believed all required their own data analyst. That is so, just as a business owner myself, and granted, I have a small team and mm-hmm. each employee I have is precious to me. Yeah. They're, they're all essential. I yeah. mean, I, I don't know if that changes when you get bigger. I, I think you should always view each and every person as, a, mm-hmm. as an essential member of your mm-hmm. team because they're going to notice when you care. Yeah. We we do not add responsibilities without discussing some right. kind of raise. So just yesterday, I was Good. talking to one of my people, and I'm, I'm not going to say her name just mm-hmm. for privacy, but we're going to have her supervise another person, mm-hmm. and that's going to come with a raise. We're going to talk about it either later today or tomorrow. Yeah, that's How being a responsible business that? owner. Because you're going to burn your people out. Yes. If, first of all, make and they're sure going to resent cool you. <laughs> yeah. I did. And sure enough, so I, I finally looked it up, you know, because I didn't have a work 101 course in, in Georgetown. Yeah, mm-hmm. I went to friggin' Georgetown. And I did not know about salary negotiation or market research. They don't teach so that. At they these don't elite, teach that. Doing this, they don't teach it anywhere. And so I looked it up. I went like six pages deep in Google looking for my, my market rate. And I found out I was underpaid at least twenty dollars to $25,000, not including the fact that I was now doing double the work. I was underpaid in my first role, like wow. the first job I accepted. Typically, that's an easy opportunity for the employer to underpay when it's someone yeah. fresh out of school. They know yes. you're a little desperate. They know you're inexperienced. Yeah. And they figure that they can start you low with mm-hmm. the promise. They put a carrot out there and they with say- the promise that it'll go Oh, up. God. If you're in a job interview and you ask how much does this role yeah. pay and they say- well, you can make up to <sighs> red flag. You, you, that's red a major flag. <laughs> red flag because they're probably promising some unrealistic quota yeah, or swales numbers to get that you in you're, you're never going to hit. It's mm-hmm. like when you would do those uh, uh, fundraisers in elementary yes. school. And remember this? This <laughs> yeah. was our first introduction the to a pyramid parties. scheme. <laughs> like, yeah, you sell 200 magazines, you get a yes. pizza party for your class. Like, wow, 200, 200. magazines and I get $14 of yeah. hot and ready. That's how cool. it starts. You know, <laughs> that's uh, how it starts. But yeah, so I tried to f- do my market rate. I found out I was underpaid. I wrote like this really concise letter with all my market research, all my sources. I included like all the value I brought to the contract. I did things by the book. Like I did wow. things based on what Harvard Business Review, you know, says in their article to yeah. do. Where did you find out this methodology for finding Google. a market rate? Google. Can you I just looked it up. Give some pointers on how someone <laughs> actually does this. It sounds like I magic. I literally as you're Googled how much should a senior data analyst make in Washington, DC? And I went six pages deep in Google. Wow. And I went to every single valid data source I could find. It was really hard, you know, because a lot of the data out there is aggregated. It's not, you know, raw data. And so yeah. it's really hard to compare yourself to an aggregate. So it took a lot of time, but I knew that I was underpaid, brought all this research to them. And my company like gave me the runaround for three months. I had to keep emailing them every week. Is there any update on my request mm-hmm. for a raise? Is there any update? And then eventually, I don't know why they gave me the runaround for three months, because eventually they came back and they were like, you have to be with the company for one year before you get a raise. And even then we don't give out more than more than three to five percent at any one time. Yeah. And I'm like, you could have told me that when I asked for those listening, my jaw dropped. Yeah. Um, it was That's unacceptable. Rough. Unacceptable. And so I literally was like, okay, good to go. I'm going to quit. And it sucked because I had just come off, you know, a couple yeah. job hops. I was not even there a year. Right. Mm-mm. And so it was a really tough situation to be put in because now I was looking for another job and I did have some pushback from people who were like, why are you leaving? And how are you supposed are to they tell pushing them? Back? You made it very clear what you needed to stay. They yeah. didn't give it to you. In my mind, it makes sense that you're going to leave. Why right. are people telling you that's bad? Because you're seems not like supposed to leave a company 
company within if you haven't been there longer than a year. Why not? Because it's it makes you look bad. What according to recruiters, that's what I say. <laughs> that's what I say. I think it's so stupid to hold stuff against job hoppers. There's always a story. It's not always about money. It's usually mm-hmm. bad management or the role is different than what you had initially signed on for, which is exactly yeah. what happened to me. And also I found out I was underpaid and that's unacceptable. So yeah. I started looking for the other job. I did that magic trick where I asked them about the budget. They told me 115. Sure enough, they gave me an offer a couple weeks later. I accepted. And you want to know what the company told me when I put in my two weeks notice? What did they say? And remember when I told them I was underpaid and I asked for my raise and I was asking for like 105, 110, still under my market rate. Mm -hmm. Right. They were like, no, we don't have the budget. Like we can't make that happen. I'm so sorry. We can try to like put you on another budget on another contract that might pay a little bit more, but you have to commute, you know, yada, yada. When I put in my two weeks and this was the moment where I was like, so mad. I, mm-hmm. it was through a screen, but I swear I might've thrown something if it was in person. <laughs> My manager told me, name your price to stay. Wow. And I, I looked them dead in the eye on the camera and I was like, have that in my head. I'm leaving. You could have given me my market rate months ago when yeah. I asked and I would have stayed. I loved that contract. I already named my price. I already named it ago. and you didn't give it to me. And now, and now, now I quit. I'm not desperate. Now I quit, put in my two weeks mm-hmm. and now you want to pay me my market rate? Go screw yourself. Like I'm not staying. And I, I talk down about that company, any opportunity I can. Sure enough, I saw that that manager quit like two, two months ago or something. So I was like, yeah, they probably <laughs> couldn't find ship. his raise on the budget either right. not until he quit. Yep. And so I accepted that job and I loved it. I really loved it. I loved it till I quit. I had a great team. I had great support. It was a dream come true. So mm-hmm. I'm glad I advocated for myself. It took a, a little bit of time, but I got it. And then I couldn't shake what had happened to me. And I was like, we need to normalize pay transparency. And here we go. Salary transparency. Do you remember your first interview ever? Yeah. The first time you went on the street, because this is what the experience you shared is. I I really like it. And I, and I hope people are are listening closely to what you're saying. (laughs) Um, the best time to look for a job is while you have one, you were sending out resumes like crazy. You had done your homework. Too many people are just chasing whatever is the highest listed rate. You don't want to do that because honestly, the highest listed rate, the highest looking Mm -hmm. job you find may not actually be what you can get. You can get even more than that. And it's not greedy. Mm -mm. It's just economics. Go out there and see it's no different than if you're selling apples, sell it for right. the highest price. <laughs> right. Don't sell your time to a low baller. Exactly. And, and if a company turns around and suddenly says, what's it going to take to mm-hmm. keep you? It's too late. It's too late. It's you missed late. your window. They had their opportunity mm-hmm. and they're just going to do this to you again. Yeah. So I'm really glad you yeah. went through that. And people can look at you and look at your stuff and yeah. really be like, Hey, Hannah knows what she's talking about. I like to think so. Not, People don't think I do, but I swear so I do. There's so chasers out there <laughs> yeah. who, who are doing similar things, not quite. Oh, You're yeah. the original. Let's throw out some names. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but I just want everyone listening when they see you to go, this girl has actually gone through this. She went from being paid less than what she was worth. Yeah. She experienced discrimination. Mm-hmm. So anyone looking at this can trust that you're coming from a place of real empathy yeah. and experience. And I think that makes yeah. your content even better. Thank you. I, I do agree. Like as soon as we started, and we went mega viral and now we have all these like clout chasers for lack of a better word Mm -hmm. doing the same thing it's funny how people will comment and be like salary transparency is so much better like she's more personable and stuff and it's because I experienced it Mm -hmm. how do you know the value of what you're doing if you didn't experience it and you know what's really funny is all the people that have copied our page are men it's isn't that funny isn't that funny um, I've, I've heard, I'm going to mess this up. And I'm like, you have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, How that can you advocate for people? That happens a <laughs> you're lot. You're the highest paid. Uh, it's, 
it's funny. I, I've heard that a lot of times in corporate America, part of the reason men make more money, and these mm-hmm. aren't my words. It was an interview I can't recall. It was because uh, women always have the best idea first. Mm. The men just have the idea loudest. Right. They just repeat the Great same point. louder. It, it's the ability yeah. to show they vote. have confidence in someone else's idea. And a lot and of times it's on confidence. confidence. In yeah. Um, women are yeah. scared to advocate for themselves. And that's where like I get really annoyed when I see a comment of people are like, we don't need pay transparency. You just need to know how to negotiate. First of all, first of all, if you went to college to learn exactly what you're going into your career for, why do you also now have to prove that you're an expert negotiator? Most people have not taken a negotiation class. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are uncomfortable with salary negotiation. Why are you saying that they have to negotiate with a skill that they may not have Mm -hmm. to get their market rate compared to their exact credentials that you're hiring them for? That's a great point. And I don't think people have a good answer to that. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they, and and I think part of it might be, please correct me if you see Mm. it differently. I think part of it is a lot of those people are coming from a place where they did negotiate. Yeah. And maybe it wasn't that hard. Mm -hmm. They were offered 18 an hour. They said no 20. Exactly. (laughs) And when they ask for more, they get it. It's not equal that, um, just facts. Mm -hmm. I think just if you and I were to go into the same, let's say just an old school corporate office. I literally have a study to, to support what you're saying. There was a study done by, I believe it was some university. And they also did a study in Tel Aviv with Tel Aviv university. And they found that when men and women negotiated for the exact same rate, women received less, even though they negotiated, they asked for the exact same thing because women were seen as more greedy by the hiring manager and the recruiter when they asked for more compared to men and African-American women and men who negotiated for the exact same number as white men and white women received even less than the white women because they were also seen as greedy. And one really interesting opinion that recruiters showed is that they believed that they, the African-American men and women had already negotiated like too much, even though it was their first time negotiating. They thought it was too much negotiating. Yep. But this is a controlled negotiation. Yep. The, the white candidates are doing the same they amount did the of negotiating. Exact same thing. Why are the white candidates not perceived as greedy for asking for the more, white women the are women, the, the, the women are perceived mm-hmm. as greedy and people of color are perceived as greedy. Yeah. Where is that coming from? I think that it's because we give a lot of what's the word power to white men because mm-hmm. they come across as having a lot of power. So you don't question yeah. it when they ask for more. You don't wonder, oh, you know, do they deserve that? Are they worth that much? They asked for it. They're worth it. But there's always a second guess when it's mm-hmm. women or minorities. What? Where does that second guess come from? Why? Bias. Inequity. And so that's where it's like when I talk about pay transparency, it's not just, you know, sharing salaries and having upfront ranges. It's having a strong pay transparency compensation infrastructure within your organization. You have to understand exactly what you're hiring for, what their responsibilities are Mm -hmm. and how much you're going to compensate those people. You're not paying people based on their personality. You're paying them based on their role. That's a tough one. We've all heard about the personality hire in the office. Um, Always. What is a personality hire to you? It's someone that was hired because they're louder and they evoke this, you know, that they're working harder than everyone else, that they are the best worker in the, Mm -hmm. in the office. You know, they're just hired for personality. They're not hired based on their credentials. They're fun to get beers with. They're fun to get beers with. That's a tough one. And I think 
uh, tell me if I'm way off base here. I think we're starting to crack this nut of mm-hmm. why are white people getting a bit of a leg up? In yeah. This, and, and and let me be clear, by the way, we're not taking anything away. If, not taking if you're shots. Look, I'm white. I'm white. <laughs> I'm white too. Earlier I said I'm a lifelong white. Yeah. <laughs> I've been in this for a while and I, I don't think I'm going back. I don't think I can change it. Um, but I recognize that this thing I cannot control that mm-hmm. I've had my whole life that I didn't ask for, yeah. it does give me an advantage. Absolutely. It does. Yeah. And I feel it. Same I with genuinely me. feel it. I walk into a room and I know that if I wear a suit, immediately I get credibility. Absolutely. And I know it's not fair, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean I'm a bad person. I didn't ask for that. So if anyone's listening. that's where pay transparency comes Mm -hmm. in because I feel like white people and what's what's really frustrating to me is the people that run away from me on the street are white men in suits. And I'm like, you have so much power Mm -hmm. to help people. It's this elevator that you take up to the top and you choose not to come back down and bring people up with you. You want to stay up in the penthouse all by yourself and gatekeep. Mm -hmm. That's not how you help people. You think it's gatekeeping? Absolutely. I think it's people feeling like they have a secret, like a way in. And once they share it, They'll make less because they gave away the cookie. And I'm like, wow. you're not going to make less. <laughs> you're going to help other people make more. Let no me one's push gonna... back. Yeah. Because I. I hey, compression. I just, you know, it's funny. In preparation for this, I did look at a lot of comments. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Great way to start. Um, That's where I, you see all the dirt. sense is, let's take someone like me. Mm-hmm. For it. I'm going to open myself up. I'm the CEO of two companies. Mm-hmm. One of them is a law firm. And I am by far the highest compensated person in that law firm. You should be. You own it. <laughs> I should be. Okay. So what do I have to fear by, le- I have two employees of mine in this room right now. What do mm-hmm. I have to fear by letting them know how much money I make? Mm-hmm. What, Nothing. What, what is the drawback? Nothing. What if I make 10 X what they make? You own the company though. Does like, that really make it fair? I think it depends. You have to have a realistic look like 10 mm-hmm. X is a lot. It is. <laughs> and that's not even the average in America. What's the average CEO? Oh make? my God. It's like 300. It's like 300. Times. Yeah. I, I'm going to look at my, I do not make 300 times what you guys make. Not <laughs> Just even clarify. I, I wouldn't even be able to sleep at night. That's impossible. And that's <laughs> where I think we have this employee like corporate responsibility, especially as entrepreneurs and where I take a lot of pride in making sure that I do an equitable structure within my corporation. So I make 200 K I'm the CEO. James is our cameraman. He makes 65 K and our executive assistant makes 80 K. That's not hugely different. Like 80 K to 200 K is not 300 times. I think what I see with my salary I just can't even wrap my head around the millions of dollars that people are making because my dream salary, I thought I wanted to be like a millionaire and I wanted to make all the money. I make 200K. I live a good life. Mm -hmm. My dream salary where I'm like, I would not, I would want for nothing is 400K, which is not even like that much compared to the it's, 80k it's it's hard because i know someone is listening to this right now who makes maybe 400 dollars a week working their ass absolutely off. and it's tough to hear people like us say oh 400k yeah like, that would be my dream. but you but have to understand when you have profit that has to go somewhere mm-hmm. you know and i also wear a lot of hats like when i say yeah. i make 200k I don't, I'm not ashamed of it because I'm also our social media manager. I film all our content. I edit our content. Mm -hmm. I'm the operations manager. I do all our partnerships. Like I wear so many hats Mm -hmm. that, you know, if I could delegate a lot of roles, I would not probably make as much. It would break it out. Yes, exactly. But I wear all the hats. So I do deserve to make that much. And I'm not Mm -hmm. putting all of it in my pocket. I reinvested in my company. I reinvested in my people. But when you have these CEOs that are making 
millions of dollars and they're not they're just what what's the word um their board of their figureheads they're the board of advisor representation they do not call the shots you know bob Iger, Iger, i don't care you are not working that hard to make for those who don't know who is bob Iger. Disney CEO. Is he the new one? There was another Bob. I think there's been a changing of the guard, but why do we have an opinion about Bob here? Because it disgusts me that they bank so much. They make so much. And from my perspective, I know that 400K is like a dream salary. I'm rich at 400K. Mm -hmm. What do you need millions for and you're not wearing all the hats that i am you know you're you're just a figurehead it's not responsible it's not equitable it looks wrong like it's just Mm -hmm. this one percent controlling like 99 percent of the wealth in america makes me sick it's the hoarding it's the hoarding hoarding of wealth because at some point i'm sure you know my own staff would look and say hey i know ryan's you know, making pretty good money. I don't make millions, I but don't. you probably but deserve it. Like, it's proportionate. There, there's a there comes a point where, like, when is it enough for yeah, you? That's a good when word. Is it enough? Yeah. When is one million not two yeah. million, three million, four million? And that's yeah. not even what these CEOs are making. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, oh the, my god, it's multi millions. At it's what insane. point is it enough for you? And it's and not, there's never people enough. listening to us to say, well, you guys are just unmotivated. You don't know how to be a killer. No, and grunt. you I mean, don't work hard enough to make millions because I work eighty hour weeks. Like, and I'm not making millions. It's not an effort thing. It's not an effort thing. And I want to bring up a point here. I want to know what you think about this quote. I, Mm -hmm. I unfortunately, for some reason, I get a lot of entrepreneur pages in my algorithm and I Uh like them. Sometimes they're cool, but a lot of them, they're just so douchey and one of them is a quote it's always a picture of leonardo dicaprio (laughs) wall street doing one of this looking all sick of that and then there's a quote and it says you are paid in proportion to the value of the problems you solve have you seen that quote before? i haven't but that sounds like bs that's like corporate they put a picture of leonardo dicaprio (laughs) why'd you put leo (laughs) wolf of wall street i don't know all those pages are the same they're like (laughs) oh i love white men like wolf of wall street um i think that that's not correct like it, it doesn't matter about proportionate. Also, I would love to hear what the proportion actually is like mm-hmm. with their salary compared to all their employees, because I'm pretty sure this might this might be wrong, but I would say they're probably making more than a lot of their employees combined in their bonuses alone. Oh, yeah. And so that just makes no sense to me. We just saw all these layoffs. Mm-hmm. If they had given up their bonuses, their holiday bonuses, they probably wouldn't have had to lay off all those people making under 60K at their company, mm-hmm. making their company work like mm-hmm. making all the gears turn all the wheels turn it's disgusting to me this episode of working class is brought to you by centurion trial attorneys that's right this is my law firm i'm the founder i am the ceo we fight for workers rights and we represent victims of serious car accidents if you're in the state of california just dial 888 call ryan or fill out a link in my bio and if you're out of state i've got a lot of wonderful friends i can refer you to again centurion trial attorneys this is the real deal folks this is my law firm give us a call if you need help why do you think there is this relentless push by corporations especially in the past year they're reporting record profits Mm -hmm. a lot of them are some of them aren't record but pretty high we're seeing decent revenues and they keep saying that they lost all this money yeah they're still laying people off why 
I think that they're probably doing to a lot of those employees what happened to me. They're laying people off so that they can save some money and look good to their board of directors, save some costs. And then they're putting on more work on the people that are staying behind. And then they're like, oh, you know, it's just a it's a low point. You know how business goes. We'll come back up and then we'll hire people. Those people are going to be suffering for months, making probably below the the livable wage where they live. And for what? So um, a CEO can make more millions? Sometimes. Uh, it, it seems to me that it's not always the CEO. There's another yeah. more sinister thing here that the I C-suite. don't know what we do. <laughs> well, not even the C-suite shareholders. shareholders. Uh, when we look at it, for those who don't know, mm-hmm. a, a, a long time ago, I wrote a book called The Dividend Hunter. Mm. Um, just, just as Gotta someone, read it. Uh, it's it's <laughs> basics. It's just about value investing. That's important. My, All we need is the basics. Oh, absolutely. I think anyone can do this and become a shareholder in companies themselves. Yeah. And, and fun thing. Just quick sidebar. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite uh, birthday gifts for relatives is I buy them shares. And that's a, a great gift. The gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, yeah, especially when they're young and yes. it's like, hey, I got you a share of this, that's got you a share gift. of that. It's a great gift. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing that these companies need mm-hmm. to have high dividends, mm-hmm. high return for their shareholders, who yeah. ultimately, that's that's the problem with capitalism that doesn't get yeah. talked about enough. Mm-hmm. The reason capitalism is problematic, in my opinion, mm-hmm. is the ultimate person you're serving is not customers. No, it's not, you know, (laughs) a lot of my friends on the right, they think capitalism is great because it's free market. It's It's not, it's the ruthless pursuit of value for the shareholder to the detriment of customers, which is why companies will make record profits and say, okay, our shares at an all time high or earnings per share is very good, but Mm -hmm. we need more because if we show a quarter without growth, we die. Right. And their best idea a lot of them have is let's do a mass layoff. Yeah. And Save that some money way, and our earnings per share goes up and yes. look, we're growing. Earnings per share. Yeah. Is that sustainable? No. And it's not a smart business decision. I don't know. I don't know why leadership would make that choice. I would not. <laughs> You're shooting yourself in the foot because now you look bad mm-hmm. to in the media and pages like mine are happy to call you out and yeah. show how bad of a company you are. But also, like, how are you going to get new people applying for that job when you just demonstrated that you have no it's loyalty? It's not a safe place to park. You demand loyalty no. from your employees, but don't show it back. I'm so sick of the word loyalty. <laughs> it, we need to get rid of it in corporate America. We can replace loyalty with guilt and manipulation. Guilt and, I think and manipulation. It just fine. Exactly. It's the same thing. It's ridiculous. I've seen that, uh, you know, I'm not particularly proud of this, although I'll say everyone deserved it. I've mm-hmm. sued a lot of companies. Good. Uh, <laughs> they probably deserved it. <laughs> they did. I, listen, you don't end up on the wrong end of me mm-hmm. without doing something pretty something bad. bad. Because mm-hmm. we don't do frivolous lawsuits. We look for wage theft. We look for yeah. harassment, discrimin real, real yeah. harassment, discrimination. We try to write that wrong. Uh-huh. I see a lot of companies, especially mid to smaller, where when an employee wants to leave because mm-hmm. they're being treated bad, yeah. the owner might say, well, what am I going to do without you? Yeah. Guilt it's tripping. Just, you're going to leave they did that me, to me all alone. They That's did that they to me. You. That's it, what they did so to me. It's so crazy. It's like, wait, don't twist this around. Yeah. That's so toxic. You got to take care of me too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I got to pay my bills. We're all team and you got to watch out for your teammates. Mm-hmm. And that's that's something that I think gets taught, you know, a lot of veteran owned businesses, I think are, are pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for absolutely. That, they, they develop that team. They mentality really in value the team mentality. Yeah. For do you sure. have a team mentality in your company? I do. I do. I love my team. We're actually going to Portland next and Get I'm going to go here. meet my executive assistant. Yeah. She lives out there. So, you know, I will say one of the things we just had uh, kind of like our first experience with like 
shit, what do we do? You know, looking at a profit, you know, versus a cost, a mm-hmm. loss a scenario. Um, we got approached by a talent agency who was like, yeah, we're going to take over your email. Like we'll do all our, all your management, all your operations, which yeah, red flag. First so of all. I, it's, I get those from time to time. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, they, they make me a little uncomfortable. Uh-huh. Why, why did you have a problem with this? I don't like handing over the keys to my kingdom. Mm-hmm. I don't like when you're like, I'll take over your email. Why do you want to take over my This email? is the thing I'm best at. This is what I'm best at. This is yeah. what I love to do. They were like, we want you to focus more on creating content. I'm an entrepreneur. You're making like, content right now. I'm making content right now. <laughs> I can do content in my sleep, but I also want to run my company. I'm the CEO. I don't want someone else, you know, making decisions for me or mm-hmm. sifting through emails and seeing whether that's important or not. That's the decision I make. Mm-hmm. But so it was, it was kind of already a red flag, but this was a big major agency, you know? So basically my executive assistant who makes 80K does my email. You know, mm-hmm. she checks my email. She takes care of all the things I don't want to take care of. And I was looking at someone who was saying, we don't charge anything a month, but we take 20% of the brand deals we bring you. So I could either go with this company mm-hmm. that is way cheaper than my current employee, yeah. or I keep working with Holly and she's going to hear this and hate this. I'm so sorry, Holly. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say I decided not to work with I just said their name. Ah. <laughs> I just I decided not to work with that talent agency. And I kept to Holly because I'm not going to let my colleague down. She's been there with me for the past few months through mm-hmm. thick and thin. She has demonstrated her loyalty to the company and I'm going to demonstrate it right back. She she deserved yeah. it. And she funny enough, she's moving from Portland to Cincinnati. I'm giving all her dirt right now. But it was difficult for us because we were like, we paid you market rate for Portland. You're mm-hmm. making way more in Cincinnati now at that market rate. And so we were kind of like, do we reduce her pay? You know? And I was like, I'm That's not doing tough. that. I'm not doing that. Once you so what I told her there. was, yeah. I'm not going to give you a cost of living raise this year, which I'd planned on doing because you're getting it moving to Cincinnati. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> you're way above market rate, but I'm not going to reduce your pay. I'm just not going to give you the cost of living adjustment, but you are still getting a bonus because you moving doesn't change the value that you brought to my company and to our yeah. team. So that's how you demonstrate loyalty. I'm so glad you see it that way. Uh, coming from the lawyer's perspective, mm-hmm. what you remind me of is a lot of my friends who became big law associates. Ah. And when we talk about big law, we're talking about um, law firms that mm-hmm. make over a billion dollars a year in revenue. Yeah. Generally, generally. Big money. They're, gener- yeah, they, they're pretty big <laughs> corporations. Uh, and they do that, mm-hmm. what you described, but the ruthless way. Yeah. They say, if you move from our Manhattan office and you go to Florida, mm-hmm. we're slashing your pay 15%. So See, enjoy, I don't think but it's like, fair. why would you say that? Because the message you're sending fair. is we don't care about you and, and the money we pay you has no reflection on the right. value you provide. That's yeah. the message you're sending. That is. And I mean, gosh, cost of living out here in the, the States right now is rough. It's rough everywhere. Is it better in some, you've traveled a lot and talked to a lot of mm-hmm. people. Is there anywhere in the U.S. where you can make it on minimum wage right now? I don't think so. You really don't think so? I really don't think so. Is there any place that's close? Maybe Kentucky, but like you're, you're still living paycheck to paycheck. Like over, I think it's 61% of Americans that make the median Mm -hmm. wage, which is like probably like $58,000 or something are living paycheck to paycheck. And it's 49% of people that make over six figures that are living paycheck to paycheck as well. So it's a little bit of like give and take, right? There's Mm -hmm. cost of living where if you're making minimum wage, you are living paycheck to paycheck because you don't make enough, you know, to make ends meet. And then there's bad decisions being made and a lack of financial knowledge and understanding and people buying 
buying expensive cars, which out re- without realizing, you know, it's 500, 600 bucks a month now, you know? <laughs> it's funny you bring that up because uh, certainly what we see a lot of mm-hmm. is uh, I see so much of this pushback. I say, hey, minimum wage is not enough to survive. No. It's not enough. It's not. And, and it hasn't get, changed since what, 2008? 2003? Uh, minimum wage was the federal minimum wage is $7.25 mm-hmm. an hour. And the last time that was increased was 2009. 2009. So the states, mm-hmm. you know, they the all have, have different the ones. To yeah. Like up. some of them are higher than some, some are, are 16, many are not. some are 12. Yeah. Many are not. Mm-hmm. And what bothers me is I get a lot of people and they always put LOLs and laughing and clown emojis. You can always tell when it's one of these people. You they can always say, tell. Yeah. Well, you clearly don't understand business. If we raise the minimum wage, it'll make inflation. I go, oh, wow. Good oh, thing. Wow. Oh, good thing we have inflation changed, like <laughs> or else inflation would be so bad right yeah. now <laughs> and you know what what pisses me off about the inflation argument is inflation to me is not even what it used to be because it's not inflation it's price gouging it now. 100% it's is price gouging it's not inflation inflation yeah. is you know when everything gets more expensive everything else gets more expensive that's different than price gouging. And that's what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. The pr- I saw something about like Hunt's tomato sauce or something like back in the pandemic, you know, ketchup the price tomato sauce. Ketchup. Now. Yeah. Ketchup. <laughs> there you go. Thank you. It is tomato sauce. <laughs> that, that, that's not inaccurate. It's a little offensive, but, but we'll let it slide. <laughs> we'll take it. Um, the, the cost of tomatoes had gone up during the pandemic. So they raised, you know, the price of their product makes sense, right? If it's more expensive, you got to raise not the gonna price. Not going to get mad about that. I get the it. The price now of tomatoes is less than it was pre-pandemic and that price has not changed on their bottles so they're just keeping they're just keeping it up there i saw another video that said like the price of a filet fish at mcdonald's now is the same price as a large fry really isn't that crazy well wait a minute isn't that the free market isn't that america don't they have a right to charge whatever they want and here's what we need (laughs) here's what we need ryan i'm all for capitalism i love a free market we need ethical capitalism whoa slow down i gotta write this down. <laughs> how do you spell that ethical <laughs> e-t-h what is ethical capitalism and how is it if mm-hmm. if it's different yeah. how is it different from the what we and have now i don't you know i'm not a scientist i'm not a researcher so i haven't like I'm an, I'm an american so i know everything <laughs> <laughs> this is the t- the term that i've coined that i'm sure someone way smarter has already coined and has a great example for definition to me It's making those decisions that are putting the employee first. It's putting the people first. It's not raking in millions of dollars in your bonuses. It's understanding how to reallocate your bonus Mm -hmm. to support your employees. It's ethical capitalism. Why is supporting the employee so important? Because I think 10 years ago, there was this almost ruthless competition. Like we serve the customer. Great example of probably not saying being the greatest capitalist is a good or bad thing. That's for the listener to decide, (laughs) but probably the best capitalist Mm -hmm. I've seen is Jeff Bezos. Yeah. And if you see any interview with Jeff Bezos between 1990 and maybe 2015 Mm -hmm. is where Mm -hmm. he was really on this terror. Mm -hmm. And it always came back to the customer. Hmm. It's like, how do I make this cheaper? How do I make it faster? How do I make it better? Now the ethical dilemma is that some not sometimes that definitely came to the detriment of his employees. And we're seeing that play out right now. At least the customer is being prioritized, but it seems now no one is there. No no one gives a shit about the customer. No one. We just got demonetized. They only care about, (laughs) no one cares about the customer. They're price gouging. No one cares about the employee. It's all about profit. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I mean, isn't that the point of business though? It is, but you can still make a profit and live a good life. Like you can make a profit and not make millions in your bonus. Like the fact that these guys are making millions upon millions, Mm -hmm. that's the customer dollar. 
where is that going back to the employee that yeah. made that happen? The people working in the warehouses, busting their butts. That makes no sense. Is it self-destructive at some point? I think so. I think so too, because at some point, you're going to run out of money to squeeze out yes. of people. And, and you're going to run out of employees to take advantage and of. And you run out. And, and there's another thing that happens is what happens when no matter how hard I work, I can't pay rent. Your SOL. What, at some point, there's just no sense in even working anymore. No sense. You, you and may, I think we need a living wage. You know, uh, we're seeing that starting to get trialed in the UK. I don't know how it'll go here, but I think it's insane that a do, lot of people. Do you people, mean universal basic income? Universal or basic wage? income. Yeah. Universal oh, basic oh, okay. income. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm traveling around the world, uh, the country, and I'm not seeing people making enough to survive, to make their rent, to make their, you know, loan payments. Has it always been this way or is this relatively new? I think it's relatively new. It's also like, I mean, we haven't even touched on the housing market crisis, like, and rent. I'll tell you a funny story. So when we were in the midst of COVID, the, you know, the panini, um, the the panini, (laughs) what is the panini? (laughs) The pandemic. (laughs) Oh, the great man. panini. My fiance and I, we lived in an apartment building. We moved because, you know, our lease was up and it was the midst of the panini. So <laughs> they, you know, all these housing uh, apartment complexes in D.C. had no one in their their complexes because people left the city. They were empty. So they were empty. So they were giving out these great deals, you know, really cheap rent. We got three months of free rent and like our rent was really? like sixteen hundred dollars, eighteen hundred, nineteen hundred dollars, I think, which was that good. is killer for a major so metro good. area yeah but it, it's so funny yes. because i'm not saying it's good i can mm-hmm. already hear the com- i'm not saying it's good <laughs> i'm saying for what we have been for what seeing, we've seen it's yeah not so bad so then our lease went up you know and it was now starting to be the end of the panini things were going back to normal they sent us a letter and they were like as soon as your rent is your lease is up Rent's going up to thirty three, thirty five hundred a month with like utilities and stuff. That's like a 40 percent. Yeah. And what did we do? We went and bought a house because thank God, James is mm-hmm. prior military, U.S. Marine Corps veteran. So we had the VA home loan. Hey, thanks so, for your service, James. You, thank you, James. <laughs> um, so we were able to get. Uh, oh my God, we, our house was $605,000, which when I tell you that that is a bargain for where we live, you cannot find a house in our neighborhood for under a million dollars anymore. It's such a shame. It used to it's, be, but our mortgage is cheaper. Our mortgage is like 3,300. It's cheaper oh, yeah. than the rent. It is cheaper. Isn't that insane? Well, so, the hurdle is getting that down payment. I right. mean, I, the if down I see payment's the hardest. one more freaking TikTok of some guy <laughs> being like, Oh, you're throwing away your rent yeah. money. It's like, Oh, Oh my God. Where's the 100,000 that Why I did and I think about this. that. Yeah. People know that it's better. It's, yeah. it's the barriers to entry are the highest I think they've yeah. ever been. And then you can't live in the city anymore because rent is equivalent to what a mortgage costs, you know, and none of us are able to buy houses oh. anymore. And now employers are pushing back on work from home. Work from it's home. like, Jesus, what do you want from us? You yeah. tell us that we need to work hard. Okay. I'm we giving you 60, 70 hours a week. Yeah. You're telling me I need to make sacrifices and go where the jobs are. I, I did. did They're in a metro area. Yeah. You're telling me I need to cut back my expenses. I tried. I, I tried, tried to move to the suburbs where I can afford shit, but yeah. now they're saying work from Constant home is no blame, good. blame, guilt, guilt tripping. It's, like the employees always, always pushing wrong. it. They're yeah. moving the goalposts. Yeah. So and then much. CEOs, you know, are making so much money, you know, the shareholders, the mm-hmm. board of directors, and they work from home. They call in with their Zoom calls, you know, from their mansion to these corporate meetings. That happens quite a bit. All the time. But then they guilt trip the employees for making them more money and <laughs> making them more profitable 
but they're still working not hard enough. Did you see that viral clip Probably. of the CEO telling her workers not to live in pity city? Yes, pity you know what city. I'm talking about? Pity city Did you see CEO. that video? She should have lost her job in my opinion, but Did she? I don't think so. It's, and it's she certainly going to make lose her, her million dollar bonus or something. She's like, we need to make six million so we can make this bonus. And I'm like, she is so out there. That's pretty out of touch. Out uh, of touch. Let's talk about this because you, you and I seem like we re- agree that there's a cost of living crisis. Mm-hmm. There's a pay equity crisis. There's an opportunity crisis. Yeah. I mean, we're just seeing red flags Everywhere. all across and it's pretty alarming. And, and certainly talking about the high level stuff, it's interesting, yeah. but it doesn't help someone listening to this podcast right, right. now. <laughs> we're just so let's go back the to the, yeah, let's go back to the front lines yeah. and figure out how to help some people here. Yes. So here's the first thing you've mm-hmm. talked to high earners and low earners across the U S yeah. Are there some common trends you see mm-hmm. among high earners yes. and, and not the stuff that you normally hear like, Oh, they have more education. They mm. did this, they did that. Are there some themes you see yes. among those that are accessible to people? I will say the number one thing that I always hear when I ask people about career advice, networking. And that sucks because I, I hate that advice because it's not. Is that you know, inherently biased, though? I think so. And it's also about who, you know, who your parents know, who your parents were able to open doors for. And usually when I get that advice, it's from, you know, people of white <laughs> skin, you know, that yeah. had those opportunities. So I hate that advice because I feel like it's not helpful. But at the same time, I can say that putting myself out there did open doors. I went to a career fair on a whim, was scared shitless. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I went and I didn't know anybody. I went to a career fair for Booz Allen. I walked out of there with an interview for a junior data data scientist job. Yeah. And for those who don't know, that's a pretty prestigious company. Pretty prestigious company. And I I got a job offer there. I worked there for a year. I got a $5,000 sign on bonus, which helped me pay off my student loans. And I didn't know anyone there. I just went and I'm very introverted. People would not guess this, but I'm very shy. I'm very introverted. And I went. So in a sense, I would say networking does help put yourself out there. If you don't know anybody, a lot of us don't. We don't have, you know, daddy's money, daddy's network. Just go to a career fair, put yourself out there, go look on LinkedIn. There's always some happening. There's some remote. So that's even better. But put yourself out there. That's the best way to try to get through that networking loophole. But the people that I interview that usually make the most amount of money always fall in certain sectors. They're entrepreneurs, like small business owners, because I think the difference with their jobs, like our jobs and, Mm -hmm. you know, a nine to five worker is uncapped income. You make as much as you want. You know, it just depends on how much you want to work. Can that apply to sales too? I I would say so. Because not everyone wants to be an entrepreneur. And one thing I try to push on this podcast is uh, there's so many content people selling entrepreneurship is like the answer to everything. Like if you're not an entrepreneur, you're a loser. That is absolute horseshit. Absolutely not true. It is not the right answer for everyone. Mm -hmm. And uh, And not all businesses make a ton of money. Not all businesses are high. You're you're telling me that the guy who owns a laundromat is somehow better Mm -hmm. than the guy who's a brain surgeon because yeah. the brain surgeon's an employee. That's no. so silly, but you're, you're yeah. right. So entrepreneur does remove the cap. Mm-hmm. And I would say if you want to be an entrepreneur, don't just do it on some half-ass idea. 
have something that you're passionate about. The way to be successful as an entrepreneur is to really understand what you're selling, what your business is. And I think that's where, you know, I had trucker, but Mm -hmm. I had some loopholes there. I did not have a tech background. Mm -hmm. I experienced being underpaid. So when I talk about pay transparency, there's true passion behind it. And I think that that was the diversifying factor that made me successful. So don't just pursue entrepreneurship because you see someone on TikTok telling you to own a laundromat. (laughs) Feel passionate about laundry or something before you own a laundromat. Um, The other career fields that do really well are tech, always Mm -hmm. tech. And, you know, I do think that's a little bit of a trend. I think we might see some of those salaries come down in the next few years. Is it a high risk industry right now? It seems tech has taken it on the chin. Absolutely. And so I think that that contributes also, though, to their high salaries and why they should be making more because it is more risky, you know, Mm -hmm. and we've got AI on the verge. We don't know what's going to happen there. It is a risky industry. So tech makes really good money. Tech sales. So if you want to work in sales, tech sales is really big. Um, Also healthcare, not people, people in healthcare that are just starting out usually do not make that much money no. or like EMT, ER techs. I don't hear them making a I was an of EMT. Money. Yeah. I made $10 an hour. There you go. Uh, this was... God, 13 years ago. Yeah, we just interviewed someone in D.C. I think she made $12 an hour, which is insane. It's been 13 years. It's only gone up two bucks. Yeah, I made 10 bucks an hour as an EMT. And I remember it it was by far the worst job I ever had. Yeah, by far. Uh, Just the way I was treated by the general public. Like, I know people think they see an ambulance. Oh, some people think here. No, no, you get treated terribly and you get treated even worse on the calls. Yeah. People aren't in a good mood when they call you. No. Uh, (laughs) And and she even said that. She was like, yeah, some of the cons are being verbally and physically assaulted. And I was like, like, I I was physically assaulted. Many I had poop thrown at me. Oh, uh, projectile vomited on. Yes. Uh, it, it's not rough. worth ten dollars, and you an don't hour. get a break. You don't. Yeah, um, and it's so frustrating to hear that because I feel like the people we interview that have the most value in society are always the worst paid teachers, metro workers, EMTs. Let's talk about that some more. Mm-hmm. So we talked about some of the high earners and trends yeah. you've seen. And we see, all right, you're in the tech space, you're mm-hmm. an entrepreneur, or maybe it's some kind of high commission role where there's truly yeah. no cap. Or you're a yeah. doctor or brain surgeon. They make good money. The stuff we know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. What are some trends we see across lower earning roles? Because mm-hmm. you do those too. Yeah. So what yeah. are some themes that we see that create these lower earning positions? If they're not, you know, like working at a bar, you know, like simple minimum wage, part-time jobs, Mm -hmm. usually the people that make full-time, you know, salary and they're lower, it's, they don't make as much because it's kind of like how capitalism works, right? They work for either the federal government or it's Mm. like a public role, you know, like public schools come from public funding that doesn't have the capitalism attachment of profit, you know, and we shouldn't be trying to profit education. It's a service. It's a a service-based industry. And so anything that's in that is usually not being well compensated. And it's, it's really a shame. I think we have the most essential. It's the most essential. We need to really invest in educating our children and making sure that they're well taken care of and prepared for the world. Now we've got all these great teachers leaving the field because of the pay. So it's like you're shooting yourself in the foot by not compensating these people fairly because we're going to get terrible teachers, a lack of teachers, Mm -hmm. and we're going to really like let down our youth. It makes me mad. It's tough. 
it's tough to watch what's happening in public schools right yeah. now. The lack of enrichment, it, it's somehow cursive is still on the curriculum. Like they're cutting <laughs> music and science and all the great stuff that, but all cursive is still an essential cursive, thing. Yeah. I, I <laughs> is there, a, one would look at how bad public education is and think there's a conspiracy yeah. to create people who don't have autonomy, who have really no choice take, except to go sure. work frontline and retail or fast food or mm-hmm. labor and not get out of it. Is there you know any what? credibility to that theory? It's a little crazy. I think there is, though, because with AI coming around the corner, it's going to take a lot of these jobs that required, you know, significant brains and skill. It's going to replace software developers. I mean, that's a hot take. I don't know what will happen, but we are seeing some threats of that. What's not going to be replaced? People working on the road, people working mm-hmm. in factories, like people doing that hard labor. If you don't have an education, that's a great fit for you. It's it's an insane situation we've seen, you know, 10 years ago. Uh a lot of great liberal thinkers were dreaming of a time when in the United States, we had a universal basic income. If you lived here, you may, you, you get some money, you know, from the government. And yes, I know it comes from taxpayers. We all gather our resources and reduce our defense spending budget by like 1%. Exactly. And the idea was we give people a basic minimum amount to live on and machines do the hard, brutal labor. But instead what we're seeing is a, I makes art and screenplays and writes poems for us. And people are still doing the hard roles. I hate it, Ryan. I, all this AI movement and stuff is really, it's scary. I don't think it's being controlled well enough and Mm -hmm. we're going in a bad direction if it doesn't start getting controlled because capitalism is going to eat us alive. How do we get it under control? Here's the here's the real question. Well, I'm going to make it harder for you and take (laughs) as much time as you need, Hannah. I've I've got some really remarkable news. Um, Okay. Joe Biden's taking a sick day, and he says you're the boss. (laughs) You're president. Take it. Uh, Congress has taken a sick day too. You're emperor. I I make all the the decisions. Okay. Change. How do we? What would I change? How do we fix this? I would probably put Elon Musk and Sam Altman in like a room with no windows for a little bit what? and just throw the what? throw the key away. I'd I be like, you were going to say, no. oh, I'm going to raise the minimum wage. No, no, no. You're putting I these want guys them, in a room. I want them to be gone for like a day while I make these decisions and then they can come out when oh, the change has happened. They're in timeout. Oh, they're okay. in timeout. Yeah, yeah. I'm not getting rid of them. They're just in <laughs> but timeout. But they're in timeout. I would definitely raise minimum wage. I would raise it to at least $15 an hour, $20 an hour, because what they're making, $7.25 is just insane. And what they're raising cities at like is like mm-hmm. $12 or $13. That's still not would enough. Would that crush small businesses, though? No, it wouldn't. I don't think so, because once everybody's making more, they have more money to spend. What are people spending all their money on? DoorDash, Uber Eats, spending money in small businesses, coffee shops and stuff. Mm-hmm. I think once people have more money to spend, they're going to reinvest it in small businesses. I would definitely put a lot more priority in fixing our infrastructure as well. Like we should be using AI and technology to not have to take planes, you know, across the country. We we need to fix our railroads. We need to have a fast bullet train system. Like Europe is and Asia are frankly way ahead of us in terms of infrastructure. Well, they're not car centric. I mean, it's funny we say they're way ahead of us. They're way ahead of us in public transit. I absolutely agree. But Mm -hmm. no one builds a better parking lot than the United States. And that's the problem. (laughs) That's the problem. We need to get rid of it. Like we need to focus on building smarter cities, smaller towns, really isolating people in suburban America. 
I think was such a bad decision. I think that what we wanted was more space and a better life. And the result that they came up with was, okay, let's go put you in the house that you never leave. And that when you leave, you go in your car and you never leave your car. You never go for a walk. You mentioned isolation. Mm -hmm. And I want to touch on that because how does isolation in the suburbs affect us? I mean, is it negative? Is, I mean, <laughs> it's if, so look, negative. If you've got your four bedroom, three bath, and you've got your big screen TV, you got your F one fifty. Your wife's a real estate agent, and yeah. you do I don't know what you do. Um, but so we've got this negative. this classic suburban couple that mm -hmm. we've all grown up seeing in sitcoms. You know yeah, who I'm talking about? Absolutely. Modern Family, I think, is a great yeah. example. Yeah, Phil. <laughs> is there? Yeah, like, Phil was the real estate agent. <laughs> I love That's right. Phil. That's who I was trying to make a <laughs> He's reference my favorite. to. I love him too. Uh, <laughs> I go back and forth. They're all great. Well, they all seem so happy. Is there? Is yeah. there a problem? No. With those kind of communities? Yes, because they are isolated. They act like everything's great. But when are any of them ever going out for a walk? Anytime they go anywhere on the show, they're in their cars and then mm -hmm. they're going to Target and they exit their car and go into this big block building and they support big capitalist America. They're not investing their money in small businesses because there are no small businesses around them. Mm -hmm. If they need something, what do they do? Amazon. Mm -hmm. And now you're giving back into big major corporations. And you're not investing your money. why do you think this is a money. problem? If, if, if they're happy, what's the issue? Because we need to be spending our money on small businesses. We need mm -hmm. to have better green spaces. We have to be able to get to places without hopping in our F-150 and mm -hmm. <laughs> our gas guzzler. It's a great truck. I'm not saying it's a bad truck. It's a great truck. <laughs> you should only have it if you're actually using the truck bed, though, no, is my argument. <laughs> <laughs> I have such a hard feelings. James loves trucks, my fiance. And I'm always like, no, I hate trucks. Like, if you're not yeah. using it, it's a waste. But it's just a matter of also like self-isolation, being stuck in your house. A lot of people don't ever leave their house. And when they do, they hop in their car and they go somewhere else. You know, it's just a contributing domino factor. You're hurting the environment. You're hurting yourself. You're isolated. You don't have your friends. I saw something that said that like moving to suburban America is actually a really bad thing because people are lonely. They are far away from their friends. Mm -hmm. Technology has sort of bridged that divide. But it's different. There's nothing yeah. quite like human connection. And you're not getting that through a phone. I'm glad you brought that up, Hannah, the the isolation that people feel. And I think it's part of the reason we see the very um, more small government anti-welfare program, kind yeah. of the more hard right, mm -hmm. tend to be from suburban communities. Yes. And I think part of that comes from a little bit of isolation. You don't mm -hmm. see... They want it. They think they, they see They want to create their own communities that well, look just like them. That. And, and, and I think a lot of communities think there's some kind of threat that yeah. if we raise minimum wage or if we have universal basic income, we're going to take something away from them. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I want to be very clear. Um, the tax burden for these things needs to not fall on working or middle class. And no. by the way, even if you have $100 million in your... If you're listening right now mm -hmm. and you have $100 million in your bank account right now... You are still closer to being homeless than you are to being a billionaire. Yes. Like I they love don't when realize people how big like, that golf is. People always love to throw out the when people make like 200 k and they're like they're in the top one percent of America, and I'm like they don't realize how no, big they're the gap not. Is in that 1%. <laughs> no, they're <Yeah>. not. <laughs> it's insane the wealth distribution and that gap. What mm -hmm. that looks like, and it's an ecosystem. Here. Yeah, we, we uh, you know people talk about the decline of America, and I know it's up for debate mm -hmm. whether this country is in decline or not because yeah. it can't. And I want to be clear, I'm a patriot. I love my country. Yeah. Yeah, me too. But countries aren't I sound real. like I, I love... hate America. I love it. That's yeah. why I'm fighting so hard for it. There we go. 
It's the criticisms are out of love. Mm -hmm. It's I love America. I want it to succeed. And I know in my heart, and I think you feel the same way that if we protect the base of our economy, Mm -hmm. let's be really clinical about this. If we protect the base of our economy, it makes the whole country stronger. Right. We have more customers participating meaningfully in the economy, more upward mobility, more homeowners. By the way, when you have people that are making enough safe income that they cover their rent and their food, guess what goes down substantially? Violent crime. Exactly. You know, exactly. And it seems when you invest in your communities, they invest in you. Like it it gets rewarded and they just keep taking and taking. And like right now, we're seeing this huge problem with gentrification in Mm -hmm. the DC metro area. And what makes me like so irritated also that contributes to, you know, the suburban America and isolationism and stuff is that we're pricing communities out of their apartments and the homes that they've lived in for decades in D.C. Mm-hmm. because they're raising the rent, because they're everything's getting gentrified. But they now don't have a place to go because all the homes on the outskirts are also really high. Mm-hmm. And so you have huge raise in, in homelessness. Um, homelessness increased 50 percent of the homelessness increase in the past year were people that were homeless for the first time in their lives, which means that they couldn't pay rent and they got kicked out of their homes. I believe that I. I love my city. Mm -hmm. I love San Diego so much. Um, And this is something that's hard for me to bring up. Uh, but I want to talk about it with mm-hmm. you. Did you spend some time downtown today? I did. It what wasn't did as bad as San Francisco or LA, but That's it's not still much. bad. Yeah. San Francisco is the worst I've ever seen. I've never seen anything like that. It's heartbreaking. It, what's your resp- Now, what, what kills me mm-hmm. is when, when we see these things, there's so much polarization. There's yeah. not a lot. We see, ha ha, that's liberal policies. Don't vote Democrat. Go broke, go woke. Go woke, go yeah. broke. But there's more to it than that. These aren't problems that came across because some evil Democrat took office and said, I'm going to raise taxes so much that no one can live here. That's not, no, it's not taxes that Mm -mm. broke these people. It's not not naming a street after Harvey Harvey Milk that broke these people. What, what broke, what was the breaking point for these people? Cost of living, a lack of support in mental health, and also a lack of support for people who are addicted to drugs. And I blame a lot of that on big pharma and these pharmaceutical companies who bear the responsibility of a lot of that addiction and have done nothing to solve it. Addiction Mm -hmm. is a real disease. You have people that go to rehab, fix themselves, and then they fall right back into it. It's a mental problem and we have no support for them. There's so much stigma too. People look at it. And what I really don't like is people who have never struggled with addiction or never known anyone who struggled with it. It's so easy to just say, well, those people are undisciplined. They made that choice and they're so ruthless. And it's like, you have no I, empathy. Uh, you have no empathy because you have no experience. I understand it was easy for you, but that's almost like looking at someone who's in a wheelchair yeah. and saying, well, why don't <laughs> do they better. Just do better? It's <laughs> yeah. like, our minds are the same as any other part of our yes. body. Some people are born with a brain that there's there's a chemical imbalance mm-hmm. or something, and they didn't choose it. Yeah. They didn't ask for it. And these drugs, oh my gosh, the hold that they grab on people who don't even have like that predisposition to being more addicted mm-hmm. to stuff, it's really dangerous stuff. And it's stuff that they didn't even, a lot of them didn't even choose to take. They, you know, got subscribed Adderall and like Mm -hmm. painkillers and stuff when they, not Adderall, but like painkillers when they had a car accident. Guess what? They got double the dose that they were supposed to prescribed by their pharmacy. And now they're hooked and you're blaming them. They got into a car accident. Now they're hooked on fentanyl. It, it seems that one of the, the big problems we need to solve is blaming people. I, I hate calling it the bottom. I, I prefer mm-hmm. to call it the base because that's, that's where a lot of people start. They're yeah. blaming people at the base for being at the base right. instead of helping secure. Them. Yes. I, I think yeah. we need to work on that. Uh, I agree. 
It's rough. Yeah, San San Diego. Y'all got problems in California. We do. And it's gotten worse over the past couple of years. And, <laughs> and we have Medi-Cal yeah. out here, which is kind, kind of like Medicare, but yeah. it's the state's version. We have CalFresh. We have systems here to at least make sure people don't starve on these streets. Right. You know, yeah. at least there's something. And I'm not saying it's adequate. There mm-hmm. needs to be more. And I'm not saying that paying a, a homelessness consultant at the city level, 250 yeah. a year. Is <laughs> I know we pro- interviewed like one who was making like 200 K at a not profit. And she was like, or a nonprofit. And she was like a homelessness, like coordinator. She got so much hate. I had to turn comments off of the video because she was getting like actual death threats. It's hard not to be angry at someone whose mission is to end homelessness, who appears to have a vested interest in making the, yeah. p- the problem last. But and I'm not I, saying that's what her yeah, thing is, and, but it's how it might look. What frustrates me about the reaction that she got is that they villainized her so much when I'm like, she's making 200 K in LA. That's like, barely making a little over a hundred K and we don't know what she does, like the actual nuances of her Mm -hmm. job and how much she works. Sure. It doesn't look great, but how much is her boss making? That's That's what I want to know. Well, why do we even need this in the first place? Right. Why do we even need it in the first place? I, I, I wrote an article three, four years ago that absolutely no one read. My, Mm -hmm. my mom read it (laughs) said she was proud of me. Um, my hope was in the state of California, we have a pretty thriving economy Mm -hmm. here. We could do some kind of pilot universal basic yeah. income and not a lot. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm talking 500 bucks a not month. Too even much, yeah. people have so much pressure on them that yeah. if you just gave them 500 bucks a month more, it would help for, so much. I like it because we could do that without significantly raising anyone's yeah. tax burden. Although maybe billionaires should try paying Man, some when tax. I was making 40 K living paycheck to paycheck. 500 bucks a month would have been lifesaver. A- game changer. Do you think it would reduce crime? Absolutely. Why? Absolutely. Because people don't, don't resort to crime when they can make their ends meet. Crime comes from people who cannot make ends meet. (laughs) They have to resort to other things. Like they have to put food on the table. So what do they do? They go steal, they go rob all these things. There's no need for that if people have all that they need to make their yeah. ends meet. And I'm not saying it'll eliminate all Absolutely crime. There's, not. there's people out there who they're, who they're just deviants and they, they do it for to. the thrill. Yeah. But that, that's that's a minority. It's a loud minority. Yeah. There's always going to be crime. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly a lot of it is just desperation. Yeah. And I mean, women who resort to crime, you know, prostitution and stuff that takes them off the street as well. No woman wants to be a prostitute. It's mm-hmm. a way to make ends meet. You can support so many people from resorting to crime that they didn't want to do in the first place. It's funny you brought up the idea of women resorting to prostitution Mm -hmm. to make ends meet, because one thing I have seen a lot of articles on and the ethics of this are just bonkers. Mm. I'm not even sure I've got my head around it. The explosion of young women resorting to OnlyFans Mm -hmm. to to make ends meet. I'm all for it. It's funny. (laughs) But it's sad that they have to do that. Well, a lot of people want to. I want to be very clear. I do not care how you make your money. And I think if you are killing it on OnlyFans, fans wonderful yes, good for you no i judgment. think that sex work is work yes and if you're a performer and you're supply you're an entrepreneur you're really, an entrepreneur go for it yeah but and who's spending the money on that who's who's there's a demand <laughs> and, and honestly if you're going to do it that's fine yeah it's fan there's this is a safe judgment free place absolutely here. But, um some people have reported that they they did it out of desperation. They didn't want to. And that's what makes me yeah. sad is if someone's doing something they don't, don't want, want to, to do because mm-hmm. they don't see an alternative. Yeah. What do you think about that? I have a great perspective on this. We have a really big problem in D.C. right now with children committing crimes because really? their their parents are probably not pulling enough and they're asking them to, you know, hey, can you bring something to the table? 
we have literal 12, 13 year old, 14 year old kids committing murders because, you know, they tried to rob a house and it went wrong and now they're in jail for murder. It is ridiculous to me that people have had to resort to this over like what 500 bucks a month could make such a big difference for them. It, it sounds it's like sad. at the end of the day, a lot of problems we're seeing in big businesses with the negotiations mm-hmm. we talked about earlier and at the bigger level with our communities, yeah. it's gatekeeping and holding on to these purse strings so tight. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So one answer that I think makes sense is getting people who know what it's like to be a minimum wage earner, getting people who don't have that social power and getting them in positions of power, giving them more autonomy. A lot of people have asked me to run for Congress and like go into politics. Would you like to announce your candidacy? No, (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I would be good at it. I, but I, I do agree. I think that we need people who are real workers, who are real Americans, truly, you know, who don't come from generational wealth, who, whose Mm -hmm. parents worked in factories, you know, and worked on the mill. We need people who understand what that life looks like, grew up in it and experienced it themselves. They're the ones who really can make those changes because they understand them. You know, it goes back to don't start a business that you don't have a passion for. Absolutely. You know, we need people in there who actually care about helping people because right now it's and I, you know, I'm a, I'm a liberal, but I would say it goes on both sides. We see a lot of problems with Democrats making too much money and also with Republicans. And we're not yeah. seeing the changes that we need. Now, it, it, you're, you're right. There are a lot of Democratic mm-hmm. politicians who are in the pockets of big donors. Yeah. And I'm not pretending they oh, are Oh, if not. I was president and I had to make all the decisions, I don't think that they should accept any money from organizations. They shouldn't fundraise. Mm-hmm. I don't understand. I mean, I know you've got to pay your people. And so you do need a certain amount of money to, to you know pay your teams. You don't need to raise millions of dollars to run a campaign that you might lose. That doesn't make sense to me. Why are you taking money from people who might vote for you? They it's need tough. that money. Yeah, because a lot of those <laughs> campaigns, we've seen people get in trouble, at least here in San Diego. There mm-hmm. was a big scandal. We had a guy, uh, man, I can't remember his his name, but he was a, a congressman here. And he got in trouble because it was found that all those political donations mm-hmm. he was getting, he was getting Xboxes and luxury gifts for his wife. Yeah. And it was a Clarence big Thomas is going yeah, on yachts. It, it, those <laughs> kind of things. Uh, so it seems that there is some point where we need some money for people to yeah. campaign, but it has to be responsible. It has to be responsible. It has to make sense. It should meet a bottom line. Like you should zero out at the end of your campaign. You should not walk out of that campaign with millions of dollars in your pocket when you lost. I agree. Or alternatively, I like the idea of the NASCAR tracksuit thing yeah. just if if you if Kanoko Phillips is sponsoring yeah. your campaign you got to wear it right there and you, you put know everything. that's great because um that takes me back to another point with how I monetize my business you mm-hmm. know when I started a lot of people in content creation on the internet sell you know templates and guides and take my course and stuff and you know I I'm not going to say that some people don't have value and you mm-hmm. do have to pay yourself if you don't you know if you're not making brand deals then you do have to find a way to support mm-hmm. the work that you do But to me, ethically, I cannot wrap my brain around helping people make money and asking them for money to teach them how to make money. That's a tough one. I can't. I I think that you have to do it the right way. You have to like choose a right price point. It has to be fair. But when I hear people selling like $200, $300 courses for like a resume review, I want to yak. Like it makes me so mad. And so for me with my business, what I focused on I'm taking corporate America's dollar to fund my business. And it's been successful. 
that's fun. Mm -hmm. uh, you have a couple of pretty high profile brand. Pro I'm not going to out them here. People can see them. And I, <laughs> I was great, really, though. I was I, excited for yeah, you. I think that's great. You. I think you're doing the right thing here. Um, and I, they support us. You know, I think oh, that they, they, they really understand that we rely on them to run our business because we're not selling guides or, you know, templates. And no. what I wanted to focus on was if all this information that I'm sharing can be found on Google, you know, it might take you a couple hours to pull it all together and really get an understanding. Why would I charge you for the mm -hmm. same thing that I condense into an understanding? Well, it can be found on Google, but the average person maybe doesn't know the difference between a mean and a median. Exactly. They don't know how to find local mm -hmm. value versus global value yeah. of a role. I mean, they're different. Um, but, you know, your content is so interesting because I feel like you're thinking several steps ahead. People watching this may not realize what a mastermind you actually are because <laughs> there's so much more to this than just what do you do and how much do you yeah. make? What are you doing with all this information you're gathering? Yeah. So I, I always had a plan. I think people were like, mm, she, why did she quit her job? Like this is going to be over in a year. Um, it's been a year. I'm still here. And I do have plans. We have an anonymous salary database that we've collected, you know, just people sharing their salaries. We have over 5,000 salaries already an anonymous recorded. anonymous salary database. An Where is this database? On our website. So if you go wow. to our website, it's actually in this really ugly Google sheet. Because when we started, you know, like I didn't have a place mm -hmm. to make it beautiful. It's expensive. So I always had in mind that this database was going to turn into our tech product. And so we're not only a content creation viral social media page, we're also a tech startup. Once this launches our website next June or next July, end of July, we're building this beautiful product. So when you go to our website, you search data scientist in Ohio, It'll give you back every single piece of raw data we've wow. collected. So because my problem was when I was trying to find my data, my market rate, Very hard to all find. the aggregated data, I was like, why don't we just give them the raw data and let them search for the job title and the location? And what I do is I ask people when they submit their salary, I also ask them for a ton of additional information. Yes. So demographic information that they're welcome to share. Some of them are you know, required. Some of them aren't. Mm -hmm. But we're really trying to get this data to show what those discrepancies look like from people sharing their I salaries. I love this idea. I yeah. love you show the I hope you show years of experience. Yeah, that years helps. of experience, college education. Race we also ask them race and gender, uh -huh. um, all of that. We also ask them like their age. We ask them about career advice, like an open ended. Mm -hmm. What has been something that has helped you? So when people look through our database, they're not just getting like an average salary of like all the aggregated data we have, you're getting every single response in addition to all this contextual information and specific career advice directly from the source. Where can people find this? It's on our website, salarytransparentstreet.com. And it, the, it's in a really ugly Google sheet right now. That's fine. But if this, if this <laughs> comes out around like July 24th, it'll be a beautiful website. Hannah, I absolutely love the work you're doing. Thank I'm you. very proud to call you a friend. Yes. I'm happy to have you here. Ditto. Before we wrap up, I got a couple of short questions yeah. for you that you'd take as much time as you want. Okay. Um, and these are the hardest hits. Okay. Uh, do you consider yourself successful? I would say so. I think sometimes I'm like, I'm not like I haven't achieved all the things I want, but at the end of the day, I built a business that I support me and my fiance off of. We've built a really amazing thing. I mean, gosh, I'm on this podcast. I would say I'm successful. Wow. That's awesome. Is this the hallmark of success? This you make it on working class with attorney success. Ryan. Let it be known yes. working class with attorney Ryan. This is the benchmark. This is the benchmark for success. Why, why are you successful? I think because I've helped people. I've done something that in essence sounds very 
self, you know, involved that I film myself and I put content, you know, of my face on the internet. But at the end of the day, my every single video that I put out there has helped somebody. It's helped someone learn about a new career field that they never knew about. It's helped them realize their market rate. It's helped them learn and gain courage to advocate for themselves. And that's invaluable. It absolutely is. And final question, there is someone listening to the show right now who probably makes minimum wage or close Mm -hmm. to it. They can barely afford rent with roommates. Mm -hmm. Uh, They can barely afford groceries and they feel alone and they feel scared. They probably feel angry. Mm -hmm. Uh, What advice, if anything, do you have for that person today? I would tell them based on the fact that I've been in that position before, do not be comfortable with where you are. If you're upset, it's because you're uncomfortable. And once you get comfortable with that, there's no way out. Like you don't accept to, your fate. Do not accept your fate. Try to make a plan. Start learning about things that interest you. Start learning about other career fields that you might be able to break into. There's so many that you can do without a career. There's, or a, sorry, a, a degree. You don't mm-hmm. need a four-year degree. Sometimes you can go to community college and get a two-year degree and make good money with a certificate. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to explore your options, understand your strengths, understand what makes you passionate. What are your values? Find companies that match those values. Put yourself out there always. If you don't have a network, start building one. Go attend things that make you uncomfortable. I feel like if you are just, you hate where you're at right now, embrace the discomfort because that discomfort is going to get you out. The second that you're comfortable being miserable, you're not going to find a way out because you don't have that motivation. That discomfort is going to take you places. You say, be comfortable being miserable. And the average person hears that without thinking and says, what are you talking about? No one's comfortable being miserable, but that's a surprising number of people. A lot of people are. Something I've been more comfortable talking about lately is I did experience that in the fire service. Mm -hmm. A lot of guys I knew did, you know, after years, they, they weren't happy anymore, but they fell into a rhythm and they got comfortable with this is just my life. And this is how it is. And nothing gets better unless you put yourself out there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Hannah, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for what you do. Uh, Please talk to some San Diegans. I can't wait to see those. And and thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me, Ryan. It was a pleasure.